Good morning. This is Jim Crott. I'm the moderator of this presentation. It's my pleasure to welcome everybody to the BRLF 2020 virtual convention session. <clears throat> I'd like at this moment to introduce our esteemed president of BRLF to say just a few words, Nigel Reichardt. Good morning, fellow BRLF members. Good morning, fellow FCB members. And good morning, ACB and to all of you who are listening to us on ACB Radio. Welcome to our 2020 annual Braille Revival League of Florida breakfast meeting. Unfortunately, this is a virtual breakfast, so uh, those of you who are used to having breakfast with us, well, we hope you are enjoying it. My name is Nigel Rykards, and I serve as president for this affiliate. For those of you who are not familiar with the Braille Revival League of Florida, we are the state affiliate, the Florida affiliate of the Braille Revival League, and we are also the um, Florida Council, the uh, Florida affiliate of the Florida Council of the Blind, CRLF. Our purpose is at a state level to promote the use of Braille literacy, uh, Braille literature, and just to promote Braille literacy in general. This morning's session. We will feature a guest speaker. Unfortunately, we will not be able to conduct any business at this meeting, but we will have a nice time anyway. Again, welcome you all, and thank you, Mr. Treasurer, for serving as our moderator this morning. Thank you, Nigel. It's my pleasure and privilege to have the task this morning of introducing our guest speaker. She comes highly recommended, and I understand after getting to know her a little bit in my role as moderator why she is so highly recommended. She learned Braille, she tells me, as a freshman in high school. She became interested after her mother was a physical therapist at a high school where they had two vision units. She watched one of the vision teachers interlining braille and at that point she picked up her pencil or pen and started to learn the nemeth symbols and interlined math for this teacher as a sighted volunteer <clears throat> she took and passed a transcribers class at the forest park high school in orlando as a sophomore in high school but she was too young to take the certification for Library of Congress and had to wait until she was 21 to do that allegedly. She got caught up in the rest of her life and kind of waited until she uh, retired in 2004 after 38 years as a vision teacher in Orlando. Before becoming a vision teacher, she worked two years on an Indian reservation where she was esteemed and highly sought after to teach kindergarten and pre-first grade. Um, and I suspect from listening to her and enjoying our dialogue that she was loved and sought after by all of her students in the Orlando area where she taught for 38 <laughs> years. <clears throat> it's my pleasure and privilege at this point to introduce uh, Miss Witt, who was a graduate of the Peabody College at Vanderbilt University in their first vision program. Uh, she will talk to us about UEB and the English Braille Code as most of us knew it prior to the UEB. With that, I will 
um, be glad to turn this program over to Ms. Witt to talk about UEB and AEB, or ABE, I guess it, it's EBA, eBay, okay, eBay. UEB and eBay. And my first question to you is, Ms. Witt, will you be talking about both text and mathematical No, issues? no, no, just text. Mathematical just text. is a whole different ballgame. Yes. Well, let's yes. keep it simple then and leave it to text. <clears throat> As an eBay English American edition reader, will I be able to read a book brailled using UEB? Yes. Yes. First of all, uh, this change in braille code uh, does affect all readers. It's supposed to make braille easier and, and more clear. Uh, I have my... I'm ambivalent about that, but I do know that um, I've talked to so many eBay readers this, you know, along the same line, how UEB will affect them. And any reader, uh, any average reader, actually, eBay reader, can pick up a UEB book and read it. Um, it's just going to be different, and when they first attempt to read it, they're going to be slowed down because of the changes. But because they're already literate, they're, they're, uh, it's not going to be that, that difficult. They'll pick it up to just naturally, I, I would think. Um, so um, my, okay. my, um, um, uh, when I'm speaking today, because I don't have a handout, I'm going to be using the Braille configurations, the dots, and I'll go slowly on that so you can sort of, if you, you know, like if I say the four, four, four sign, the F-O-R sign, I'll say dots one, two, three, four, five, six. So you'll sort of get the idea of it. And the reason I'm doing that is, um, in speaking generally about UEB and eBay, is that uh, I want to create a picture in your mind and, and show that it's not that big a deal to, to do this. Uh, it was a big deal for me at, uh, what was I? 73 to switch codes because I had to teach it. But as a transcriber, we look at it entirely differently and, and it's really more detailed and specific because everything we do has to make reading uh, Braille so that the reader can have fluency. So I hope what I say today is helpful. I, I'm, as I said, I'm a, a, a Library of Congress uh, instructor and I, and I love Braille. I've loved Braille for years, and I adapted. So I, if I can adapt, I think all of you can. And Braille is not dead. The number one question I get it from people constantly is, oh, well, can't they just hear it? And, and my question is, oh, so you don't want, you don't, your children don't want to be print readers. They just want to hear it. And they're like, no, they need to know how to read. I said, well, that's what Braille does for a blind individual. It, it's the reading medium. So why the auditory, access to auditory materials is crucial, but it's not literacy. Braille, Braille is literacy. If people can keep that in their head. So. I'll, Very good. Are you ready for the next question? I'll be quiet. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to be quiet. Answer. You're I'm doing sorry. great. Can I still get books in eBay? Yes. Yes, you, actually, um, you can. Uh, if, the, if they were published, you can definitely get a book. If you get a book that 
it was published before, uh, I'm sorry, Braille before 2015. Chances are it is still an eBay. Uh, we have our, our Braille group, the Braille Association of Mid-Florida has, our archives have every, pretty much every book we've Brailled and I, you know, 95% of them are in eBay. Uh, in the past, though, most Braille volunteer groups like ourselves have Braille textbooks. Well, in the last, oh, five, probably eight years, uh, the various state groups that order textbooks for uh, school-aged children, K through 12, have stopped getting books from volunteer groups like ourselves because the prison systems have elaborate Braille programs and, and because the um, prisoners Braille eight hours a day and it's not voluntary, so to speak, they can get the books to them faster. And prisons like the prison in Michigan uh, have, their printing, their system of production is equal to almost APH. I mean, they're just, they've become, uh, as prisons have found that uh, getting transcribers in their prisons has really helped with uh, recidivism. Uh, it's given people meaning and a reason for, you know, a new focus on life. And so the Braille coming out of the, not all prisons, but the majority of the prisons of a, is of a higher quality and very immediate. Whereas we're, we're volunteers and we, we don't Braille as fast. Uh, there are not as many of us, but we Braille. Our focus is mostly on the public schools and supporting the teachers in the public schools and individual kids throughout the state who have a book they want to read. And we try to, we, we get it out within weeks, but not, not within the times uh, that prisons hand them out. So. Okay. Um, am I well, rushing you up? No, 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 you're not rushing me. I was just thinking on your question, um, uh, looking at my notes. Um, the state, if you're trying to get a, uh, a textbook, this one real quick comment, as an eBay reader, if you're trying to get a textbook from a state distributor, you know, the, the Department of Education uses the Florida Instructional Materials Center for the Visually Impaired, you will not be able to get a you an eBay book, but if you get it from other agencies or through the Louis database at American Printing House for the Blind, yes, you can. But I wouldn't worry about what uh, what uh, code it's in. I think you could read it. Okay. Can you can you give me a hint as to how to find out whether a book is using UEB or eBay? Okay. Um, First of all, look at the title page. If on the title page, uh, near the uh, sort of near the middle, towards the bottom, it will tell you the book is uh, Braille in Unified English Braille. It'll say that this book is Braille in Unified English Braille. If it doesn't say that, one of two things is happening. One is it's in that lapse period between 2015 and 2018 where they didn't require that that people just put stickers on the book well that doesn't help you very much at all i'm saying to them how does this help <laughs> so we we started putting it in 
on the transcriber's note page, which is the usually the third page in a book. You open a book up, you have a title page. The next page is special symbols page. There's another clue. On the special symbols page, the very first symbol will, will be a dot, something called dot for, mit, for mention. And that you'll look and say, oh, that's different. But the, probably the way that most people do is they'll open up to the first page of text. And if and for, of, the, with, or separated, or by, to, and into, or not connected, they, they know it's UEB. So, but really, if you get a book, just read it. Because you'll, it, every, you know, the, uh, a lot of the contractions that are no longer used are just spelled out, and you can read that. And the only, so, um, that's that. That's my suggestion. Figuring out whether a book is UEB or eBay. But first, look at the title page. Then look at the second page, which generally is a, a special symbols page, and you'll know. Now, what was that, the that answer, answers your question? Because my kids never looked at the title page, and they just went to the book and started reading. You know. What was this you were saying about a dot, a special dot? I didn't understand it's called that. A dot for mention. And what it is, is a, uh, uh, on the special symbols page, it always says um, special symbols used in this volume. Okay, so when we braille, any symbol that is in UEB that was not in eBay or any symbol that's uncommon is listed on that page. And so the very first symbol on a UEB book has this configuration, and you know, I'm drawing a blank of what it looks like, <laughs> but it's um, like a four sign, and then it, it has, if you read the text, you know, the symbols are listed on the left, and on the right, if you read the text, it says dot for mention. And what it does, it shows you the complete configuration so that when you read a symbol, you know the position of the actual contraction. It always precedes, you know, precedes it, so you can... Uh, be able to read the configuration of the contraction. Well, Mr. Moderator. Thank you. <clears throat> I think that helps. Mr. Now, Moderator. Um, yes. Uh, do I have liberty to uh, ask questions also and make comments? No, I think you should wait till the end. Okay. They may forget Is though. They're like me, Jim. <laughs> it doesn't bother me, but 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 it will bother you because I'll get off on a tangent. <laughs> We'll have plenty of time for Nigel to ask him questions. Okay. Uh, and he's sharp, so he won't forget. Oh, Is okay. there any major difference between the old and the new code? Uh, the word major is the phrase. Uh, I would say it's, in many ways, it's subtle. Because, for example, um, they've what what they've done is they've gotten you know you know the contractions they've gotten rid of correct Most why don't you can you summarize some of them yes they've gotten rid of the ble contraction and the reason there's a reasoning behind why they got rid of things because in the beginning i thought it was stupid and then when i saw why i thought oh okay, that makes sense ble represents a numeric indicator or the number sign as we used to call it and they do. They only want it used when it has to do with number. So they can no longer use it to be BLE or you know. And that used to be a difficult contraction for kids to learn because it had to be in a certain position and all that. Well, that's not an issue anymore. You spell out BLE. The other one 
is DD, which is the same as the period. Well, they want the period to represent the period. They don't want it representing anything else. So they got rid of DDD. Then the COM also represents, oh, golly. A dash. <laughs> I went blank. That's what happens when your mind ages. A dash. And they, uh, they, you they, sure it's not the mule kit? <laughs> I haven't gotten it yet. I'm sorry, folks, but uh, Marianne was a successful bidder at last night's auction on the mule kit. And um, so we wanted to make sure she hadn't gotten into the mule kit. But go ahead, Marianne. Actually, Jim, actually, Jim, it's funny because anyone that knows me knows that most people will not see me at 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm a very, you'll see me at 3 at night, but you won't see me, see me early in the morning. So uh, my mind's not. I never taught a Braille class at 8 o'clock. They all started at 10, 10 o'clock or later. Uh, so we, so they got rid of the BLE, the DD, and the COM, and then they got rid of the ATION. Now they just use the TION, which is very easy to read. And the reason was it caused problems. It looked like, like if you used an abbreviation for New York, it used to, it used to be, it just it was it, it created issues because that dot six the dot six contractions represents capitals and they just get, wanted to get rid of them so that's why they got rid of a l l y and I do not know why they got rid of the short form o'clock no I, I I don't know why I don't know how it was ever a problem but they they have some reason and the other major change. Is, like I said before, is and for of the with are no longer, we called them, I used to call them cuddled, where they're attached. They're, they're never attached anymore. That was the hardest thing for me to stop doing as a Braillist. It's, I still catch myself. And also the other major change was the by to, into, by to, and into are no longer attached. And that and that just was a confusion for in different for young children learning Braille. So I, I don't know that the dropping of those contractions really is harmful. I, they have good reasons behind them. But but the problem that you as eBay readers will probably have um, are things like abbreviations. I, 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 the, the major thing that an eBay reader will have reading UEB books is they will be slowed down. You people that read really, really fast, when you first encounter UEB, you will be slowed down because of just your old habits have to change a little bit. Uh, like, with the, uh, for example, we used uh, abbreviations for so many different things and, and, and the configurations like even your acronyms, you know, and, and things like that. Uh, so that, I think that's one of the, one of the problems you'll have. Uh, Roman numerals you may have a little bit of problem with, and you're going to have problems with transcriber notes. And and one thing I want to say as a transcriber, we we get nuts over writing our transcribers' notes because we're supposed to keep them brief and we're supposed to you know be very definitive. And sometimes that's very hard to do when we're trying to explain what these. Uh, illustrators and these writers are trying to convey because they have so much 
books nowadays are so fancy. Everything's got to be visually pleasing. And we have to separate what's important from what's not important so that our readers get the same information. And the transcriber's notes are totally different than before. There used to be a, uh, a two, three, five, six. They're no longer, there are three, cell, three cells now in the beginning and the end. And, and I have a list of all these things, a cheat sheet, if, if people want, want it, of all these things that will slow you down. If you, so if you're going along, you see like a transcriber's note and haven't seen it before, uh, we do, oh, that's the other thing. In UEB, everything's done in a, a Braille order. So when you're reading, let's say you're reading the book and you go to the special symbols page. When I was teaching, the kids would go and it was, uh, the symbols were listed in the order of occurrence. Now they're listed in Braille order. So when you look for things, it's really, they finally have done it based on how the Braille uh, reader would look for things. It's sort of like the Braille, you know how everything's alphabetical order? Well, Braille orders is the equivalent. So um, if you encounter a transcriber's note, which is really different, you could, you could you know, vertically uh, assess the page and go down and find it. Uh, oh, that's what that is. But They're at the bottom of the page? Yeah, just go down it, it, wherever it's ranked. It's usually it's not too far down, but you, you would you you would uh, you know have it on the page and you go to special symbols and go down. You will be using the special symbols page as much as you did as a child in the beginning. If I can learn them and not have, because when you asked me to do this presentation, I am so into UEB now. I couldn't for I brailed eBay for sixty years. You have to remember, I used eBay for 60 years. So when I was learning uh, UEB, oh, I thought, my gosh, you know, I can't remember this. I can't remember this. Now that I've been in it since 15, I can't remember eBay. I had to, I had to go look. I had to go look. I had to go look. Later on, when I talk about type forms, I, had to, I thought, well, how was the italics? How did they do the talents before? I totally could not remember. I, last night I had to go look it up. And I've been using it for 60 years. Now that is sad, isn't it? No, I understand completely. But then I'm getting older too. Yeah, well, I'm probably the oldest one in this room. <laughs> but, but regardless... Now are there particular items in addition to the ones that you have mentioned that may be more difficult to read because of UEB? Or um, do you think you've meant? Well, the abbreviations, uh, i tell you what, i tell you one thing you have to know the th the problem you're going, you would have, and I'm going to give you people a good reference that you could have on your uh, Braille note that would be helpful too to understand the rules because I'm not going into rules today uh, is they use a different vocabulary. I think that was, when I was teaching the first class in UEB, I had uh, Susan Farnsworth, our current president sitting next to me to feed me the vocabulary. So I was consistent because I kept using eBay phrases. I could not make that uh, transition. For example, we call we always called everything a contraction. Oh, they don't do that in UEB. They call uh, a letter a symbol, 
they call they can call it a letter, but they refer to it in the symbol category. They they call contractions word signs, they or group signs. So they're always talking about word signs or group signs, and they 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 call um, number sign a numeric indicator, and they and everything's an indicator. And the indicators are what, if anything takes you down as an eBay reader, it will be the indicators because they have so many now. Uh, when they, UEB tries to follow print more accurately than eBay, personally, I question that, but that's what they say. Um, you know, their rules are based on following print. And then they have this phrase, you remember as a kid, well, there's an exception. I think UEB has more exceptions than eBay had in some some ways. So I think vocabulary, because when you're trying to get information, you don't have the vocabulary to know what you're looking for. It will come quickly, but if you remember, when you're looking at things, are they a, a word sign or a group sign? So uh, like and for of the with are word signs. CH. SH, those are group signs, stuff like that. Very good. I hope I'm being clear because it's, you know, like I'm saying, I'm shooting the breeze here. You're doing fine. You're doing fine. Um, uh, I have one more question for you, and then we'll open this up for questions. Um, and that is what items would be new and possibly not clear as a reader to me? Okay. Punctuation which is a very, very important factor in reading because punctuation lets you know, you know, the, the, you know it, it's just punctuation. It's just critical. They've changed punctuation. Indicators, we had the capital indicator before. Remember, the, you know, dot six? The capital indicators have changed. They're, they're, they have new indicators. They have uh, type form indicators. They have... Um, Transcriber defined symbol indicators, and that's in, in addition to the transcriber's note, and they have special symbols. That's what's that's what that's what's going to not that's what's going to be confusing because what's going to happen? You're reading along, and they've changed. Uh, let's see, I'm looking at my list here. Dashes and ellipses. You're going to read along. What the? What is that? Then you go ahead to back up and read it again. Oh, that must be a dash. Or you can go look up special symbols. Uh, they, they uh, like the dot, I'll go through them with you. The decimal in UEB, I mean, at eBay was three, five, six. It's, now it's five, six. The closing single quote has changed. The opening, oh, the one that bothered me the, the very most was the, the uh, opening parentheses. Remember, it used to be just the drop G, uh, two, three, five, six. Now it's dot five, one, two, six. And so that's because the opening parentheses has changed, so has the closing parentheses. Okay, um, can you give us a few more? Yeah, uh, the opening square bracket. It used to be dot six, drop G, which is two, three, five, six. Now it's uh, dots four six one two six. That's the closing brackets change, and so uh, the opening bracket now is like four six, which is G H. That's be the uh, 
the opening bracket. The closing bracket is four six. The AR uh, group sign is they just they're very consistent. That's one thing about UEB. They're not in isolation. They always an opening is always going to be something, some indicator, a GH contraction, or and the closing will always be uh, something. The AR contraction. So when you see it, you know that's opening, that's closing. You'll you'll catch it really. It'll come up very quickly. But the fact that it's not a drop G, you know, not the two, three, five, six, is like will throw you off. The underscore used to be um, you do like three six, three six, three six. That's gone. Now you do four six, three six. So. Uh, and they use that for omission. They used to call it. That's the other thing. The vocabulary, uh, when something like a word is missing, instead of having the three three sixes, they have the four six three six. The dash is uh, used to be dot three six three six. Now it's dot six three six. Then they have other other. And the ellipses used to be uh, dot three dot three dot three. Now it's like the old period, period, period. So it's two, five, six, two, five, six, two, five, six. So those punctuation marks are, I have listed where they could go into a BRF file and be in your Braille note because those are the ones that are messed up as far as punctuation. Indicators, which is the next group. I don't know if you want me to give you a breath. Go ahead. Absolutely. Indicator, indicators are where it's, I think for a UEB reader, Remember, okay, I'm going to talk, talk about uh, capitals first, which is very simplistic. And if you, and once I talk about capitals, then I'm going to type, talk about type form indicators. And the category of indicators is something really new to a, an, an eBay reader. Okay, the capital indicators, remember dot six are always a matter of capital. Well, now they have, um, they have something called a, okay, so you use a dot six in front of a letter or you know, a letter, single letter. You, and we used to use dot six, six to mean the whole word. Now they can do, do the whole passage. So if you have three or more words, so if you have one symbol, you use a dot six. If you have one or two words, you use dot six, six in front of each one. But if you have a whole passage in capitals, which is very frequent, surprisingly, you do, you start it off with dots six, six, six. So you have three dot sixes. Okay. And I tell my students, okay, you have put yourself on a capital train. You continue, everything is capitalized in this text until you encounter the terminator. And all of a sudden you'll, you'll see a dot six. And then a dot three, and that lets you know the capitalization has ended. And so that's something that you will uh, will be new to you because you uh, they used they used to uh, have to encounter so many more capitals. Here I'm trying to think how do they used to do it. I'm trying to remember um, the next category of indicators because I finished talking about capitals or grade one indicators, we used to call them letter signs. Oh, they have, they have rules for letter signs now. 
In eBay, we use dots five, six in order to use a letter indicator. In UEB, you have these. You have the grade one symbol indicator, which is a dot five, six. You have the grade one word indicator, which is dots five, six, five, six. And then, like the capital I just mentioned, you have the grade one passage indicator. And you use dots five, six, three times, five, six, five, six, five, six. And you stay on that, ca uh, pa that passage train until you encounter a dot six with another letter indicator. So, so when you have this long array of letters, like if you were doing the alphabet, this long array of letters, at the very beginning, you would have the indicator that this is a passage of capitals. And so you just get on, you're reading this capital passage train until you can counter the dot sixes. So in some ways, it was more clarity, I think, for the reader. Because in the past, we used to have to repeat things. So uh, the kids have not had any problem with that transition. Teaching it was a problematic in order to where to put the terminators but as a reader you don't have that concern so you, you have the, been, i'm sorry go ahead you I, I just was going to say those are the two simple indicators then if you recall i said that ueb prides themselves on saying they follow print well by following print in the old days as when i brailled and when i taught if something if the you were reading something and it was emphasized that gave you member dot four six the italics okay that they would they would say four six it'd be four six in front of a letter or the or if it was a word i didn't they do two of them yes yeah <laughs> i'm trying to remember they did two of them and then if they did a passage they would uh do the the two and then you waited till the last, last word. word, and they put italics before the last word in the passage. So if they had a whole speech in italics, then they would clue you at the beginning, and then they would uh, just before the last word, they give you another italics. So that's that's not how that that's gone. Don't be looking for it because you're not going to see that. They do the very same thing in the schematic. Is they have. Uh, each category, okay, now instead of just saying they're emphasized, they tell you how they're emphasized. They say, they don't say the author emphasized this, which is all you need to know, really, when you think about it. This, they tell you how the author or the writer uh, emphasized it. They tell you whether it's in bold. They tell you whether it's in italics. They tell you whether it's in script. They tell you whether it's underscored. Now, I don't know. As a print reader, I don't care. I just see it's emphasized. But in UEB, say, oh, it's really important they know how it's emphasized. And it's all really a visual effect. But we, as Brailleists, when we encounter words in bold, we tell you as the Braille reader, this is bold. We tell you whether it's a symbol, whether it's a word, whether it's a passage. So you know, you're, you're being told, this is how it actually looks in print. And so this type form indicator that, that tells you whether it's bold or italics or script or underscored 
has a code or a configuration that gives you this information. And this pre is a two-celled uh, item. The first cell is called the prefix, and it defines the category. It says, the, okay, so, so if you see, let's say, for example, the bold root, which is um, the prefix for bold is uh, four, five. Okay, so if you see a four, five, you say, oh, this is going to, oh, this is bold. And then the next symbol is the root. And it'll tell you, this is a bold symbol. This is a bold word. This is a bold passage. And then if you have the passage, this is the bold terminator. So you know, so you, so then you get, so, so then you know uh, what specific thing is emphasized. And I have a list here that, you know, shows you that. Let's talk about your list. Um, I understand that you you have graciously agreed to um, put this in a BRF file for yes. people that would like to have it. So I'm going to ask anybody that's listening to this virtual presentation to contact um, Katie Lear, and I haven't asked her permission, so if she's on the phone, she can kill me later. Um, if she isn't, I'll have to warn her. But um, if they would contact Katie Lear at Florida Council at Comcast.net, um, she will be glad to forward um, this BRF file once we have it um, to you all via e email to any of anyone who wants it. But it's basically a cheat sheet of a lot of the symbols and signs um, and indicators that... Um, uh, we, we've been hearing about this morning. Um, do you these have anything? In really, these are the things that you you need when you're initially trying to read Huey B. You will learn them very quickly because they're very organized. Okay, th thank you so much, Marianne. Um, if you don't mind, I think what we'll do is: Do you have anything else you want to say before I open it to questions? Uh, no, but I did want to tell you that that uh, they, they also have another group of indicators and they're called okay. trans, they're transcriber indicators. And there's one, the old basic TN that you see to explain captions on pictures that are relevant or, or if the transcriber, let's say they get a, um, a chart, they, they, instead of going horizontal, you know, something with a lot of columns, they're going horizontal, they're going vertical, they key you, that they've changed the configuration. That's the, uh, that's the transcriber's note. But they have another group of symbols, and there's uh, they go to degrees of five, where a transcriber, a writer puts something in a book that's like uh, some curly cue that means something regarding what he's talking about and there's no equivalent to it in braille then the transcriber will give you a transcriber defined symbol and say and try to describe what it is he's saying and, and so that you will know whenever you see this symbol that's that's what he's he's showing and we have five of those and that's the end of the indicators all right, thank you very much. But wait, um, you have there, you also have special symbols that have changed, and I need to tell you what they are because when you're reading, this is really 
depending on what you're reading, um, will throw you. They've totally changed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten symbols. Would you like to know what they are? I won't sure, talk. go ahead. Yeah. Okay. The degrees, the dollar sign, the double prime, the numeric sign for uh, crosshatch, you know, that sign, the crosshatch, the hashtag, I think they call it now, that sign, paragraph yep. sign, okay, paragraph sign, the percent sign, the pound sterling, the prime, the section sign, and the tilde. Okay, can you go through those quickly? Well, okay. What they are? Yeah. Well, the degree sign in eBay was DG, which was simple. Now it's dots four six two four five. The dollar sign used to be a drop D, which is two five six. Now it is dot four S. The double prime used to be SEC, you know, like second. So no, it's two of them. Now it's uh, two, three, four, two, three, four. Oh, I have this wrong on here. It's two, three, five, six, two, three, five, six. The number, the hashtag or the crosshatch used to be four, five, six, TH sign. Now it's a four, five, TH. That's not a big difference. The paragraph sign used to be PAR contraction. Now it's uh, four, five, P. The percent sign used to be, it was three digits before, I mean, three cells before. It was four, then it was two, five, P. Now it's four, six, three, five, six. And the pound sterling used to be uh, one, two, three. Now it's dot four, one, two, three. The, pr the prime used to be FT, and now it's uh, uh, two, three, five, six. Okay. So the, the, the tilde one used to be four uh, one five six. Now it's four three five. I mean that that's a when you're reading you know stuff with tildes. I found some errors on my cheat sheet. So okay, well thank you very much. I really appreciate this. I think that our audience has learned a tremendous amount. Let's open it up briefly for questions. And I know that our president has uh, a couple of brief questions that he's going to ask. Uh, Nigel? Hope I can answer them. <laughs> are you there, Nigel? Yes, Mr. Uh, Mr. Moderator, am I audible at the moment? You are. Okay. Um, Ms. Witt, firstly, on behalf of the Braille Revival League of Florida, uh, I would like to thank you so much for joining us this morning to give your very highly informative presentation. I uh, have picked up from your delivery quite a few terms that I did not know. Uh, you're a very uh, excellent teacher of the uh, new system. Uh, point of clarification, you were pointing out that the first item on the special symbols page is the, um, it's actually the dot locator for mention. Yes, and yes, you're, you're right. I'm it's sorry, a, yes. That's okay, and it is a two-cell symbol Yes. that precedes every subsequently defined UEB symbol, and uh -huh. that symbol is the uh, is dots four, six, followed by the full cell, dots one, two, yes. three, four, five. Yes, that's six. correct. Thank you, yes. Um, also, I have noticed, and perhaps you can expound on this, that since the transition to UEB, 
I'm seeing a lot of white space that is wasted, quite frankly, uh, so that in the past, um, the text would immediately follow the table of contents. If the table of contents concluded on one page, the text would pick up on the same page. Now, if the uh, table of contents concludes on, say, the middle of a page, they'll go to the next page before commencing the- Yes, uh, I, I know. I tell you something very interesting. Yes. As as a, a longtime eBay Brailleist, that that concern, I thought UEB is going to take up so much paper and have so much white space is wasting time too. You know. Yes. yes. So uh, what happened in 2015? Well, actually, uh, probably closer to 17. The United States ran out of paper because of UEB. The schools could not get paper. The schools were asking us for paper. We always, whenever we braille, we braille for free. We're volunteers. Yes. And all we ask is that you replace the paper. When we're working with the school system, with FIMC out of Tampa, we ask just if you, we'll provide the expertise if you replace our paper because we don't have a way of. Audio now on the whole country, the whole country, the American printing house ran out of braille paper hmm. because UEB took so much paper and wasted so much space. Hmm. So, so tell you, okay, next that's question. Lot, but that's the rule, and we because we're certified by the Library of Congress, and this Banna, who's the, the know-it-all, excuse me, this Banna, <laughs> I didn't say that. This ban out, that's the rules. We'll edit that out, just kidding. <laughs> Good, you edit right. that out, thank so you. That, so actually then that is in fact a UEB uh, change. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right, Let, let's open it up to, are there any other people with their hands raised that have a question they'd like to ask? Liz Bowden, please, Liz. Okay, <clears throat> can everybody hear me? Yes. 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 Okay, am I higher than Nigel? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, because very low. Okay, so I'm going to tell you in 50 words or less how to teach yourself how to use UEB so it won't be so uh, daunting to you. All you need is preferably an iOS or an Android phone and a inexpensive Braille display. You can hook it up to both devices, either one in several ways so you can fix it so you can read UEB, but you can still write in contracted Braille. I don't know if that's the same as Androids. Uh, I didn't look, I'm sorry. Uh, or you can say you want to read and write UEB. What I did was I started off with reading UEB and writing contracted. And then it only took me a couple of days to get used to it. So it's not as bad as everybody thinks. It really isn't hard. It's very easy. Even if you don't have a cheat sheet or any of that, you can kind of figure everything out, even if you don't have a symbols page. All right. Thank you, Liz. Do we Liz, have another question. Go hey, ahead. Liz, Liz. Yes. You're making a very good point. All it does in the beginning when you first encounter UEB is slow you down because you, you try to figure what they're trying to say. And a lot of times the context, will, you'll know. So, yeah, I mean, I always get 
get caught because I changed my writing <clears throat> with the BLE sign and the dot sixes, but everything else I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. It's because my friends who are you know avid braille readers were saying it's it was only a, a, uh, annoying in the beginning. <laughs> Okay, do we have another question? Or Amanda, comments? please. Hi, Wit. It's Amanda. Oh, hi, Amanda. <laughs> Th thank you for this uh, awesome presentation. Uh, my question is, um, I know you didn't talk about math at all today, but right. where and when could we get some, I don't know, lesson guidance information on math? And secondly, I think this is, um, really important for for me and learning. Um, I know you talked a lot about bold and and all of that, and that might not seem important to in many instances. But when you're working on a research paper or you're going back and editing, being able to see if things are in bold or highlight, that's great. And I I like that they're doing this in passages. So I feel like I need to be more fluent in that. Can you recommend somewhere that I could go? to get UEB, not necessarily certified, but make sure that I'm very fluent. Well, I would recommend that you, and I was going to say this and I forgot to mention it. Um, if you go to the uh, Braille Authority of North America, the BANA site, which is uh, www.braillethority.org, you can get a book called The Unified English Braille. It's a download, and it comes in. It it, it will help you, uh, you if you have the vocabulary, as I mentioned. You that will give you wonderful information. It's a, it's actually the UEB rule book. Uh, when I'm brailing and I'm not sure how to present something, you see, we're always trying to meet a standard so that everyone brails the same way, so that braille readers get the same information always and that and when I'm in a situation where I'm not sure how to present something or braille something I go to that tech that book it's common core common common core for braille <laughs> yes it is no, um, and, that, that, I hate that word common core yeah I know you I but as an educator you would know that um, what <laughs> what about what that, about math about the math, I think that's an interesting subject, and I think we should take it up with um, BRLF, and maybe they can put a webinar together in the near future uh, on math. Um, that would be my suggestion uh, with respect to that. We certainly can't do it in the four minutes that are remaining, but no, it's an no. excellent idea, and we'll take it under advice. Also, go, go to NFB, because they have wonderful programs Amanda to help you, you know, National Federation, uh, Cindy, I, I believe it's um, Cindy Law uh, Lawrence. There's some really good things because they have, they've kept, they're getting, trying to get rid of Nemeth, which is why the Braille Literacy League, which I'm very active with, or not very active, but I'm aware of, um, supportive, has, is trying to keep Nemeth. And what they're doing now is they're putting UEB inside the Nemeth. It's called UEB whatever. I don't know. But if you go to NFB, they're the they're on the top of that, the National Federation. All right. Thank you very much. Um, we have one quick question. Anybody got their hand up? 
Uh, we've got Paul Edwards. Paul can't be First. brief, but we'll let him try. <laughs> First, <laughs> thanks very much for your presentation. Um, well, I hope it was helpful. I, you know, I'm doing it from a different viewpoint, but I'm very, very pro-Braille literacy, if you can tell. I, I can. <laughs> My question is, how much of a demand have you seen uh, for UEB math versus Nemeth? Well, the, the thing is, Benna has deemed that it will be UEB Nemeth. And I see in the cards, they're going to get rid of UE Nemeth. And, and when they do that, it's going to cripple you mathematically. That's just my opinion. Banna didn't ask me, but if you leave Nemeth and use only UEB math, it will destroy math as we see it for a blind person in, in the world. All right. That's a, a, a sad but good note to, to, to end on. I, I, I knew thank... Dr. Nemeth, and I know how strong his program was. He had a code. He presented a code to Banna called Nubs, and that code would have made math totally separate but functional for eBay users, and they booed him out of the room. So, Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a wonderful presentation. I thank our audience. I hope everyone has enjoyed this as much as I have. I think it was a wonderful kickoff to the Florida Council of the Blind uh, 2020 convention. I think that we couldn't have had a better speaker to lead us this morning. Remember, if you want uh, the cheat sheet, please contact Florida Council at Comcast.net, and we'll do what we can to get you that information as quickly as possible. I hope everybody has a great day and enjoys the rest of the convention. And with that, I'm going to sign off. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you, audience. Thank you, Mr. You're welcome. Thank you, Jim. This is Rick Morin. I'm the Zoom facilitator today. Good morning, everybody. The next session we have is Guide Dog Users of Florida, and uh, uh, headed up by Michael Moran and a panel. Michael, you can go ahead and unmute yourself and start whenever you'd like. Hey, Katie, start, please. Sure, Katie, go right ahead. Good morning, Guide Dog Users of Florida. Good morning, Guide Dog Users International. Good morning, FCB. Good morning, ACB. And good morning, everyone on ACB Radio. Sure hope I haven't left anyone out. Um, I'm Katie Lear. I am GDUF's recording secretary. I have a small black lab named Hachi. She is from the seeing eye, and she is my sixth dog. What I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce our president, Tom Hansen, and then he will talk with you for a moment and then introduce our panelists. Tom? Good morning, everyone. Marco, my golden retriever from Weeder Dog, and I are pleased that you have joined us. Today, our topic is enhancing your travel experience with your guide. We have an outstanding panel. Um, Moderator is Michael Moran, a member of our Guide Dog users. So, Mike, take it away and let us know the other three panelists. Michael, Michael you need to unmute yourself. Hello? Is it, are you hearing me? Yeah, you're on now. Oh, okay. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's uh, nice to be here. I'm sorry we can't be here in person. I have a wonderful panel up here with me and uh, it's uh, 
uh, my pleasure to um, introduce to you the panelists for today. And all of these panelists, including myself, have had a great deal of experience traveling throughout the United States, Canada, and who knows where on uh, trains, planes, boats, automobiles, and maybe uh, on the back of whales. But uh, you're going to hear a lot of information today. And uh, you'll hear a lot of tips, of a lot of how to do this, how to do that. And the one thing I believe we all want you to hear is how to best advocate for yourselves. Because your presentation, when you travel, when you go through a magnetometer, uh, when you go to a train station, is very important. So feeling empowered and 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 knowing how to present yourself is a large piece of how to get things done. So I'm not going to delay this at the uh, at about 40 minutes past the hour. We're going to uh, stop and take questions. And on the panel today, we have Claire Stanley, who is the outreach specialist for the American Council of the Blind. We have Chelsea White, who is uh, outreach specialist for the Seeing Eye, Becky Barnes, manager of consumer outreach and graduate support. And uh, I'm going to kick things off and uh, start with Claire Stanley. Great. Thank you so much. Just want to do a mute check. Can everybody hear me? Yep. Yes. Perfect. Thank you so much. Just want to check. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Claire Stanley. Like was said, I'm the advocacy and outreach specialist in the National ACB office. And we all said we would kick off by introducing our guide dogs. Um, so I am on guide dog number three. I have a yellow lab named Tulane um, from Guide Dogs for the Blind. You guys might have seen her on the Pick of the Litter docuseries. So it's very fun to have. Um, so as the advocacy and outreach specialist with ACB, um, I deal a lot with the um, policies that are set out to uh, make sure that those of us who have guide dogs have access to um, public transportation, um, flight, etc. Um, I'm sure many of you know that there's been a lot of changes going on. So I'm just going to spend my time this morning talking mostly about flying with our guide dogs because there's been a lot of change in 2019 to 2020 and more changes still to come. So I'm going to talk mostly about the Air Carriers Access Act, um, because I'm sure many of you know, but if you don't, um, when you're flying with your dog on an airplane, the Americans with Disabilities Act does not necessarily, in most cases, apply to flying with your dog. Um, most of us quote the ADA when we um, want to talk about the rights of our, um, our dogs in public places, but when you're entering a, an airport and you're getting on that plane, suddenly it's not the ADA that applies, it's the ACAA that applies. Um, so things are different and we need to know what those look like. Um, one quick caveat, when you're going through the airport, another um, situation arises when you're going through TSA, the security checkpoint, and suddenly you have all kinds of other issues to deal with because um, going through security is a completely different entity and ACB National engages with TSA on a regular basis to advocate for the rights of our dogs going through security. So I won't spend any time on that, but when we get to questions um, or even after the fact, if you have TSA questions about your dogs, feel free to let, let, me, um, let me know if you have questions because that's another big one. Um, so when talking about the um, Air Carrier Access Act or the ACAA, 
I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about what's happened in 2019 and in 2020. Um, I'm sure many of you guys know who travel that there's been a lot of questions about what you are or are not allowed to do um, when getting on the plane and more significantly what airlines are or not supposed to do because many of us know that people are now trying to bring every animal under the sun onto the plane. Um, and as a result, there's been a lot of um, changes in airline policies and what have you. And so the disability community has stepped in, thankfully, and said, we need to talk about this and we need to make sure that our rights are protected. So in August of 2019, the FAA under Department of Transportation put out a statement of enforcement that kind of said, whoa, we need to make sure that people who travel with guide dogs or other service animals rights are not impeded upon when traveling. Now, we call it the final statement, but that's kind of a misnomer because um, then in 2020, a notice of proposed rulemaking, which I'll talk about in a minute, was brought out that'll further the rule, hopefully, knock on wood. Um, so this final statement of enforcement, again, is kind of a misnomer. But as it stands, since no rules have come out since, we're still waiting. Um, it is the current um, enforcement standards. And so if you fly with your dogs now, <clears throat> excuse me, these are the rules. So I just wanted to go over kind of what that final statement says, because if you're flying right now with your dog, this is what stands. Um, so <clears throat> it provided some clarity on the different policies that were popping around, because I'm sure you guys heard that Delta provided their own policies and United provided their own policies. And so Department of Transportation um, jumped in and said, whoa, let's let's clarify this. Um, so one of the things it did was said that people don't have to provide advance notice of flying with their service animal um, as long as it doesn't exceed eight hours, which basically means flying outside of the U.S. So if you're flying within the United States, you do not have to provide advance notice that you're flying with your dog. So some airlines try to do that. If an airline says, hey, we need advance notice that you're flying with your dog, you can say, nope, under Department of Transportation policies, that's not um not permitted. Another thing is that all you have to provide is verbal confirmation that your dog is in fact a service animal. <clears throat> uh, verbal attestation is sufficient. And we'll talk about the notice to propose rulemaking in a second, because that's a big question that falls under the NPRM. Um, this is important because like I said, the Air Carrier Access Act is different than the ADA. I'm sure a lot of you know that when you travel or go to a restaurant or the movie theater with your dog under the Americans with Disabilities Act, a verbal attestation saying, my dog has, has been trained to perform X uh, task because I have a disability is all you have to say. As long as you can say, yes, I have a disability and my dog can perform X, Y, or Z task under the ADA, that's all you have to do. But that's not necessarily the same thing under the Air Carrier Access Act. It's not as explicit as it is under the ADA. And so because of that, that's kind of where things are getting a little gray. And so that's why we've advocated for this and we have under the NPRM that I'll talk about in a minute. So thankfully under the final statement this past summer um, to align more with the ADA, um, the FAA did say that verbal attestation is okay. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, breed restrictions um, were um, prevented under the final statement. So you have a 
you know, Rottweiler, a pit bull, a German shepherd, a chihuahua, whatever it is that was um, okay under the, the final statement. Um, documentation requests were limited. Um, so a lot of times now airlines want documentation on training, vaccination, and behavior. That is not provided under the um, final statement. And again, we'll talk about the NPRM in just a second. Um, the only time that you can be um, asked for documentation is if, and again, we'll talk about this under the NPRM, it's believed that your dog is a direct threat to somebody on the airline, the air, uh, the flight. That's a really high standard that you have to meet, but heaven forbid, you know, Sniffy starts lunging at people and barking and biting and heaven forbid anything like that, then vaccinations, behavior, documentation, et cetera, can be requested. But it's a direct threat question and it's a really high bar legally. Um, so now quickly, I'll jump over to the notice of proposed rulemaking. For those of you who aren't familiar, an NPRM is a regulatory process that the federal government uses in agencies to draft new regulations. So it's kind of what a federal agency uses to create new rules to help us understand what is or isn't okay. And so the way they do that is um, the federal agency creates a time limit and puts out some questions and says, hey, we want the input from the American people on these policies. Any Joe Schmo, any, literally anybody can um, submit um, comments. And so we've had some great participation from members of ACB and then ACB National also put out some, um, some comments ourselves. So some of the questions that the um, FAA and DOT asked for was, should there be documentation? I know we all have opinions on that. Um, should there be a breed restriction for dogs? Um, should emotional support animals be allowed on planes? I have a feeling all of you are groaning inwardly to yourself now because that's a big topic. Um, should you have to show up early? That's a big one. We already have to show up to the airport an hour early. Should people with service dogs have to show up even earlier? The FAA wanted our input on that. Should psychiatric service dogs be considered uh, service animals? Like I said, most of us know under the Americans with Disabilities Act, if a dog performs a task, they're a service animal, period. So most psychiatric animals would be considered um, service animals. But under the Air Carrier Access Act, it's a different definition. <clears throat> so those were some of the questions. And then I just wanted to go briefly over what the ACB National Office put out. We stressed that we want the definition of a service animal to align with that of the definition under the ADA and the regulations that Depart Department of uh, Justice promulgated years and years ago now. And so under the Department of Justice regulations, a service animal is an animal that's trained to perform a task or tasks to assist somebody with a disability. So if our guide dog helps us, you know, get around, guides us, what have you, that is a service animal. Um, if a psychiatric support animal helps somebody who has PTSD by licking their hand when they're having an episode, that is a service animal. Um, that makes it, in my opinion, and in the national office's opinion, more clear that if you can perform a task and say what your dog's doing, done. It's a service animal, whereas under the Air Carrier Access Act, as it stands now, it's a lot more blurry. It's a lot more gray. So our opinion for the NPRM was to adopt DOJ and the ADA regulations.
should we have to provide documentation? Um, and the national office said very explicitly, no. <laughs> and I'm sure all of you are nodding your head and agreeing that we don't believe that documentation should be required. If you get on a plane today, like I said, back in August under the final statement, documentation is not permitted unless there's a direct threat question. So as of now, if you want to get on a plane, you don't have to provide documentation. However, under this NPRM, Department of Transportation asked the question, is it okay for us to ask for documentation? So once the government goes through all of these comments that were put out by the NPRM, if they find that there is a sufficient amount of argument that documentation should be permitted, unfortunately, it could happen. So all of these things that I'm talking about under the NPRM, depending on the input, they could change. Fingers and toes and everything else crossed that what our comments say will happen, but it's just in a waiting game. Um, I just want to go a little bit faster just so everybody else can talk. Um, but again, some of the other things we talked about in our comment, um, we talked about why we don't think documentation should be provided, have to be provided. It's an undue burden. It's costly to go to a vet and get documentation. It takes time. What if I want to get on a plane tomorrow and I didn't get a chance to go to the vet? So it's an undue burden, and that's our argument. But again, depending on the outcome of the assessment of the comments, we don't know what's happening, and ACB National will keep you posted. We also said breed restrictions should not be a thing. So if you have a Rottweiler or whatever type of guide dog, as long as it's performed to um, perform a specific task um, and doesn't um, you know, create a direct threat, breed restrictions shouldn't matter. So that's kind of a quick rundown on the um, comments that the AD, uh, excuse me, ACB National um, provided. And again, as it stands now, when you're flying on a, a, a major airline, you only have to um, uh, go based on the final statement that was put out by Department of Transportation this past August. And those were the ones I talked about earlier. And I can go through those again if you have questions during the question period. But now that the notice of proposed rulemaking came out, we could see new rules. We don't know what they're going to look like. They'll make the decision based on all the comments. And so when we finally hear what the new rules are, the national office will share them. The time to uh, submit comments ended in early April, and we are dealing with the federal agency, so things move very slowly. So I can't tell you when the new regs will come out, but again, it is a government bureaucracy, so it might be a while before we see what the new regulations are. And that is kind Thank of- Thank you, Claire. Yep. Thank you for a wonderful presentation. Next, I would like to introduce Chelsea White, Outreach Specialist for the Seeing Eye. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for having me. Um, uh, like Mike said, I'm Chelsea White and outreach for the seeing eye. Um, I have a German shepherd named Brooke, who is almost four years old. So, um, so some people had some questions about sort of preparing to travel. Um, what, what you should pack, um, do you have a separate, you know, should you have a separate bag for your dog? Um, that kind of thing. And um, I am going to tell you what I do personally, and then you can kind of go off that and, and figure out what works best for you. But I personally uh, hate to check luggage. Um, 
luggage gets lost. Uh, and, and I'm also very impatient once I land wherever it is I'm, I'm going. Um, I just, I want to get off the plane and I want to go. I don't want to have to sit and wait for luggage and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, sometimes, you know, carry on isn't always possible and you may have to check. But personally, I, I prefer to um, just carry on and not check luggage. So um, I have a backpack that I use um, that is two bags in one. So it has a, a main compartment that carries a lot of stuff and uh, a front compartment that will actually zip off of the main compartment of the backpack and become a second um, sort of day pack backpack. Uh, and the main compartment I, I save for my stuff, uh, my clothes and, and toiletries and such. And then the smaller zip on bag uh, is, is where my dog's stuff goes. So her food, um, her bowls, uh, toys, a groom, you know, her grooming supplies, that kind of stuff. So, um, the backpack, if anybody is curious, um, is, is Osprey. Uh, and it is, um, one nice thing I like about Osprey bags is, um, they make a men's and a women's version. So the women's version is the straps are orientated a little different to, to fit a woman's torso. Um, it's a little narrower, that kind of thing. Um, but the uh, men's version is the far point. The women's version is the fair view and both far point and fair view are 55. So meaning 55 liters, which is the amount of stuff the bag can carry. Um, it is a very large backpack. So when it is, if you cram it full, um, it does get pretty heavy. So be aware of that. Um, but I like to separate things, um, especially food, dog food from clothing, um, because we all know that dog food, no matter what kind generally you feed, kind of has a smell to it. And um, I personally don't want my clothes to smell like dog food for my whole trip. So uh, keeping dog food and dog supplies separate from your stuff helps with that. Um, also, um, putting dog food in either like plastic Ziploc bags will help with that. Um, or there is a couple of things out on the market. Roughwear makes one. Um, it's a kind of like a soft-sided um, dog food container um, that has a lining in it that will help keep the odor um, from escaping the bag. So um, I also like, um, you know, you're going to need bowls for your dog for food and water when you travel. Um, I like the silicone collapsible bowls. Um, they're easy to clean. You can throw them in the dishwasher when you get home. Um, they're easy, easy to clean on the road. Uh, they collapse. So they take up very little space in a bag. Uh, and they're not, they're not heavy. They're, they're very lightweight. So you cut down on not only the space they take up, but the weight. Um, and then also obviously grooming, you know, take a, grooming things with you, um, whatever works best for your dog. Uh, and then, like I said, I like to separate all of my things, um, all of my dog's things from, from my things. So now, um, 
One thing I've also done, um, if you are on a really long trip, is you can ship dog food ahead, um, either by Chewy or or you ship it yourself. Um, you know, if you're going to be gone for an extended period of time, you know, a week or ten days worth of dog food is pretty heavy and um, and takes up a lot of space. So shipping it ahead is is a good consideration. Um, now, if you do that. If you ship ahead, or if you put your the bulk of your dog's food um, in your checked luggage, make sure that you carry on with you, so carry on to the plane with you, about a day's worth or a day and a half's worth of food. So that if that shipment of food doesn't make it in time, or your bag gets lost by the airline, you, you have a day or so worth of food with you so that you're not stuck once you get to wherever it is you're going. Um, that also holds true for if your dog is on any sort of medication, um, just like they tell you, um, always keep medications with you on the plane so that if bags get lost, you're not without medication. Um, it's the same for your dog. If your dog is on medication. Uh, make sure you carry that on the plane with you um, so that you have it whenever you get to wherever it is you're going. Um, <clears throat> and then um, other than that, um, it's, it's pretty much just about, you know, kind of figuring out um, a system that works best for you. Like I said, you know, I, I really, really hate checking luggage. Um, some people prefer to check luggage because they don't want to have to carry it all with them. Um, but like I said, make sure that you have um, about a day or so's worth of food with you um, and your dog's medication with you so that if you do get stuck, um, that, that you aren't scrambling to try to get somewhere to get food for your dog. So thank you very much. Okay, Chelsea, thank you. And uh, what's important about taking the uh, dog food on the plane is uh, if you get hungry, you've got something to eat. And uh, <laughs> I don't want yeah, to tell right. tales out of school. School, but uh, Ch- I've, heard, I've traveled with Chelsea. I've heard her munching, but I don't know if it's dog food or pretzels. Anyway, moving it's right along. It's quite tasty. I'll, I'm mm-hmm. sure I'll pay for this later. Now, <laughs> it's my pleasure to introduce to you, and uh, I always do this to Becky. Her name is Becky Barnes Davidson. Of course, I left out the Davidson. I'm sorry, Becky, who is the manager of consumer outreach and graduate support for Guiding Eyes. Becky, take it away. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Oh, oh okay. Um, I feel like that old Verizon commercial, right? Can you hear me now? Um, it's great to be here. And I, like everybody else, it would have been nice to, to see y'all in person. Although, actually, I don't know how many of you heard of the All Paws on Deck guide dog cruise that happened last year. But we were supposed to leave on another one tomorrow. Um, obviously not happening. I just want to talk a little bit about, um, because I think it'd be great to leave as much time for questions as as we can, uh, about other modes of transportation. Um, Amtrak, I don't really, I can't say I have any experience on bus, long distance bus travel, um, but I do have quite a bit of experience on Amtrak. And the same tips apply as far as um, carrying dog food with you. Um, Because you can check luggage on Amtrak now. I've never done it. I'm like Chelsea. I don't like to put my luggage in somebody else's control if I don't have to. Um, I think we've all had those experiences. 
Uh, and, you know, most, most of the time, uh, Amtrak conductors are um, generally pretty nice, um, but Amtrak delays can be pretty daunting. Um, especially, I mean, I used to do the New York or Westchester County up to Buffalo run, and it's supposed to take seven hours, and there were times when it took 11 or 12. So you need to kind of be prepared for those kinds of things. Um, you can feed your dog on a train. It's interesting, um, but you can. Um, but I want to tell you a little bit about my experience, because, of course, if you're on a long Amtrak ride, you're, one of your big concerns is, is can I relieve my dog somewhere? And yes, generally you can. Um, and conductors are generally pretty nice, especially if they know in advance that you're traveling with a service dog. And theoretically, they leave empty seats in the front of the car for people traveling with service dogs. Um, I say theoretically because probably half the time there's someone else sitting there and they don't ask them to move. Um, but you know, be that as it may, you can settle in elsewhere on a train. Um, but when you, if you feel like you need to give your dog a stretch and relief break, um, you can check when they're, when you stop at some stations, there's a crew change or they add a car or they do something else. So you're there for 15 minutes or so. You can ask the conductor where you can take your dog and generally you probably get off the train and walk along the platform to a point where you're away from the actual building. Um, and there's a spot for your dog that can, it's not designated as a dog relief area, but you can find some place to give your dog that break it needs. Um, we had an interesting experience. We, uh, we were on a train to Buffalo and once we had pulled out of the Rochester station that we had an abrupt stop and, um, apparently we, uh, hit a, hit a pedestrian, which is never good. But we were going to be there for a while, and we were a little bit concerned about giving our dogs some relief. At that, at, before this happened, we we were fine until we got to Buffalo. It goes another hour and a half, but now it was going to be extended, and um, so we went to the door and asked the conductor, "Is there any way we can, you know, take our dog off?" Well, we were not at a platform, so it was quite a jump down. Um, and the conductor got down, lifted the dog out, and. Um, let the dog relieve, then hoisted them back up, and we were we were okay. That was probably above and beyond. But some of the conductors, you know, they they treat you very nicely. Other ones pretty much ignore you. And I forgot to tell you about my dog. I have a two-year-old yellow lab named Ballad, B-A-L-L-A-D. She's a girl, all girl most of the time. Uh, she'll be three in July, and she's dog number four. So, uh, and she doesn't sing. It was my last dog, Lawson, who actually sang. Um, anyway, um, the other thing I, I want to touch on a little bit, because I'm sure this is, is going to come up, is um, rideshare services. And as you all know, and probably many of you use them, um, they are under the same rules as everybody else in terms of service dogs being allowed to travel. And the important thing to remember is that they both have mechanisms. Uber and Lyft both have mechanisms for um, reporting. Uber actually, or Lyft, you can actually call and get a person on the phone while you're having the incident. I believe with Uber, you have to email them and they will um, they will respond. But um, I we tend to use Lyft, and it's mostly because of that um, because of that. 
ability to to get immediate action. Um, and I guess the other thing that we all need to think about once we're allowed to travel again and do it safely um, is, you know, how is this going to affect our dogs? How is this going to affect us? What are the new regulations going to look like um, beyond the cloth face masks? Um, what is physically distance, physical distancing? And excuse me, but I hate the term social distancing. I think social is inaccurate for what we're doing. Um, you can have your own opinion, but um, while we're physically distancing, what is that going to look like on trains, on buses, uh, on planes? And planes are already talking about it. Airlines are already talking about it. So um, we need to be prepared to make sure that we can be responsible and do the right thing without our rights being disregarded. And I think, you know, a lot of a lot of what we do is make sure that we maintain our dignity while our, our rights get respected. Um, it's not always an easy thing to do, but in this in these next in these next weeks and months, um, I, it's my hope that nobody's going to try to take advantage of the pandemic to say your dog can't be allowed. Um, because the dog really has nothing to do with it. Um, so um, I think, and I, I think we're a little bit early for questions, but Mike, let's let's go ahead and open it up because I want to make sure people get their questions answered to the best of our ability. And then, you know, maybe at some point we can do a community call later on, uh, ACB community call later on to talk about this further, and share information. Okay. Well, Becky, I want to thank you for a wonderful <laughs> presentation. I, I want to ask you this. If a person has difficulty in working the app and calls Amtrak, is it your experience that they want to know the size of your dog and the breed of your dog? Yes, they, they do ask you that. Um, and I usually use the recording or the menu where you just do everything by menu. Um, Julie, the Amtrak automated agent. Um, and But yeah, they do ask you that. Um, and I asked them why one time when I was making a reservation and they just kind of said, well, we need to know for space purposes. And I kind of said, well, you really don't, but you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you just, if you want to get yourself out of a situation, you have the right, if you want to, to pick your battles. Um, so, um, you know, but I don't think, I mean, you don't get asked that on a plane unless the only time, times that I've been asked that for a plane is when it's a really small plane and they're trying to balance, you know, where people sit. Yes. And, you know, I would just assume they do that, balance it, you know, so keep it in the air. It's your choice whether you want to uh, alert Amtrak as to the breed and size of your oh, dog. Well, I, it, it, I believe, I believe so, but uh, Claire may have further wisdom. I mean, it's that. not a problem. I mean, what well, I'm saying annoying. is like you said, you have to pick your battles. And uh, yeah. if you want to answer the question and just move right along and get your reservation made, uh, I, my opinion, no harm, no foul. Other people may have a different opinion. Uh, and also, Claire, I wanted to ask you, do you know how many uh, submissions there were to the Department of Transportation? Am I unmuted? You yes. are unmuted. Um, there were thousands, um, thousands and thousands. I want to say 5,000 is popping into my head. Um, so there were a lot. ACB did a really good job. Um, I think we, our members, including us, um, probably submitted close to 20. It's a number that comes to mind. But yes, there were a lot of comments. 
That's wonderful to hear. The guide okay. dog schools all submitted comments as well. And uh, Al guide along dog with, graduates did independently. Yep, along and with NFB. NFB and NAGDU as well. Yes, yes. Uh, all right, I guess we can open the floor mm -hmm. for questions. Okay, if you want to ask a question, uh, if you're on a computer, it's Alt-Y. If you're on a iPhone, there's a raise hand button in the middle of the screen. And if you dialed in on a telephone, it's star nine. We'll start with Debbie Grubb. Hi, everybody. What, can you hear me? Yes. 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 Wonderful presentations. I have a question. Since the meet and assist law is so not known about by airport staff, both in the airport and, and sometimes even on the planes and all of that kind of thing. And, and we won't take time to go into all the anecdotes about that. All I can say is thank God for Ira and a strong will. But how can, how will we, how can we, number one, make air, air carrier staff and airport staff more knowledgeable and educated about this law in preparation, not only to help us in the here and now, but in preparation for what is to come when the new um, Air Carrier Access Act um, procedures become law. And um, I think it would be nice to hear from you guys about what you think organizations can do, schools can do, and chapters of Guide Dog Users Incorporated can do, and NAG do, and all, and us as individuals, because it can be very frustrating. And if you're shy, you tend to want to sit there, and sometimes people miss their planes. So I, I would really think that would be a valuable conversation to have, and thank you. Thank you for that question, Debbie. Who would like to take that? Oh, I'll um, start. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Claire. No, no go for it, Becky. Um, I think it's incumbent upon us to um, check with our, talk with people at our local airports. Um, I think that, that that can certainly be a project or a, a, even a priority for um, chapters, local chapters to, um, to do some airports. Um, my, our airport here in Charlotte um, has been really good. They have you sit, but not for long. And usually you're sitting across from the counter and the person that checked me in has been kind of watching, but I don't have any reason. I, I think we've all had horrific experiences and I'm, it would not surprise me if, if people on the ground, uh, not the management that necessarily, but people on the ground had no idea that there's such a law. Um, so I think we, an education uh, project is, is in order. Okay. Claire. This is, this is Claire. I would echo exactly what Becky says, um, working with the airports, but also working with the airlines, I think is the second component. So advocacy and education with the airlines. Um, ACB National, for instance, is trying to develop a great relationship with Delta. We have a great um, ally there that we've been working with. So trying to make her aware of those kinds of things, um, but always trying to work with other airlines. So of course, National will keep working on it. But let's say you have a major airline located in your state, you know, let's start advocating or doesn't even have to be in your state, but just starting to, to reach out to the airlines directly as well and build those relationships. Do you know if these airlines have a uh, airline convention or whatever it might be called and exchange information and ideas about this, or is this low on their priority uh, scale? I think I've attended, and I, I don't know if Chelsea and Claire have, but I haven't been to one recently, but every year or two, there was an airline forum 
um, on people with disabilities and the airlines mm -hmm. and disability organizations were represented. I, Claire, have you been to one of those? I haven't been to one of those specifically. I've been to a few other air events with like FAA where the airline reps are present, mm -hmm. uh, which is a great mm -hmm. place to be as well. I can also say um, there are several different um trade unions for lack of a better term for the airlines so that's a great idea too to reach out to those unions where all the airlines are all in one room quote unquote so you can talk to them all together okay. also a, oh go the, ahead i'm sorry the, the tsa has a coalition on disability and medical mm -hmm. um stuff not stuff yes. but I, yeah you know that i'm part of and have been probably for seven or eight years or, or longer um and it's, it makes it very clear what the regulations for TSA are for us with our service dogs and also provides a mechanism for filing complaints. Yes. All right. We have a question from the floor. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mary. Yes. Um, hi, guys. Um, a, a lot of you may know me. I know I know Becky and Chelsea. Um, uh, I worked at an airport for eight years. Um, and have since retired, but I just kind of wanted to make a comment. It's not a question, but there are organizations, for instance, in Florida, there's the Florida Airport Managers Association. Um, there are Airports Council International for larger ranging, um, uh, ranging discussions. But what I wanted to say was a lot of times, because I didn't know before I worked at an airport, there are uh, the, uh, for instance, there are the TSA laws now, rules that we have. There are the airline or carrier rules that we have. But the airport management, whoever is running your airport, in our case, it was our county. But we have a, a hired airport manager, which is who I worked for. And they kind of coordinate with TSA and with the airlines. So if people have an opportunity, like, for instance, when I worked there, um, I was requested by Delta to come and speak to their staff about how to deal with persons with disabilities, uh, in particular uh, uh, visual disabilities. And, of course, I have a guide dog, so um, and they were all familiar with seeing us, but I got to explain a lot of things to the actual staff. So it's on a more local level, and this is not in rulemaking, but an understanding and coordination, you can deal with some of these things either through your local airport or um, you know maybe on a state level, like the Florida airport managers, they have meetings several times a year where if there are things they might not may, might need to be more proactive in, maybe that could be addressed at their conferences. So it's just a, a point of suggestion for moving forward. Okay. Does anybody want to respond to that or? Why don't we move on to the next question? Mike, am I unmuted? You are unmuted, Tom. Can you tell us, can an airline be more stringent than the federal when they say, you know, but we do it this way? Can you comment on that? And also, can one of you talk a little bit about how do you find a relief area in the airport and does the relief area app actually work? <laughs> um. uh. Ahead, All Claire. right, don't fight. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to talk over people. Um, I'll, this is Claire. I'll answer the first part. Um, so the federal regulations um, are the, the ceiling as far as what you have to do. So you have to 
uh, you absolutely cannot conflict with the federal regulations as far as what you're, you're required to do. However, if an airline wants to go above and beyond and give your dog a little spa bath in its own bed and, you know, an airline can go be of in a bond, be of in a bond. Wow. Can't talk above and beyond um, for those kinds of things. But as far as what is legally required, an airline can't say, mm, we'll pick and choose and we're okay with this, but not with that. No, you, an airline has to comply with the federal regulations, but can go beyond if they want as far as accommodating a dog, but they can't go below and pick and choose. I know okay, I've had was, experiences who, who where they're they taking that. Yeah. Okay. I, I know I've had experiences and I, I suspect Claire and Chelsea and Mike have too, where they have said things like, you have to sit in the bulkhead. Well, you may prefer to, but you don't have to. Or mm -hmm. you and your husband, both with guide dogs, cannot sit in the same row. Well, yeah, we can. Um, mm -hmm. Those kinds of things. So, yeah. A lot of times they want to blame it on the uh, federal regulations. Well, that's the FAA rule. They just make it up as they go along sometimes. They do. Yeah. They really don't know. <laughs> and they don't want to know sometimes either. They'll give you that, some pushback. It's true. Okay. We have um, another question. Uh, well, ahead, Tom, Tom had asked about relief areas um, in airports. And um, so, what, two, three years ago now, um, there was, how long ago was it, Claire, with relief areas inside of Man, security? Baby. It's Has been it a been, few years now. Yeah. It's been several years now. Yeah. Um, most major airports of, of a size, um, of a certain size, are required now to have animal relief areas um, inside the security checkpoint so that if you land and um, your dog really needs to go or you land, you're going to be there for a while and then are catching another flight, you don't have to go outside of security take your dog out and then come back through security um, to catch your next flight. Now, um, those relief areas in the airports quite often um, are not outside relief areas. Um, they're inside relief areas, meaning it's a room typically um, that they've sort of turned into a relief area. Um, sometimes they have some sort of fake uh AstroTurf type stuff in it, um, you know, patch of concrete, that kind of thing, um, where your dog, you know, can relieve itself. Um, a lot of dogs don't like them. Some dogs don't care. Um, but it's one of those, if your dog really has to go, it's, it's an option to give them. Um, as far as people in the airport knowing exactly where those relief areas are, I found it kind of hit or miss. Um, some airport, you know, assistance people are really good about knowing where those uh, places are, um, and some have no clue what you're talking about. So, um, you know, you have to be a little persistent when it comes to, you know, asking questions and, you know, maybe asking more than one person um, about, you know, where that might be. Um, as far as relief areas outside of the airport, um, so outside of security, once you get out of the airport, um, again, a lot of airports do have stuff set aside for dogs. Um, and again, hit or miss as to, you know, if people know where they are. Um, although once you get outside of the airport, it's, it's a little easier to find 
you know, a patch of grass, a patch of gravel, a bush, um, you know, a patch of concrete at the back of a, you know, parking lot or, or that kind of thing. So um, there is an app. Um, oh, shoot. What's it called? Oh, I have it too. And I'm blanking out. Oh my gosh. I've never, I've actually never used it. <laughs> um, I should. It's service I should. animal, re, service animal relief areas or something like that. Something I, I like you, that. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, like I said, I've never used it. Um, I, I downloaded it. I took a look at it. Um, when I downloaded it and that was the last time I used it. So I'm not sure how up to date it is. Well, it's yeah. my experience that people are pretty cooperative at the airports, especially when it comes to animals. I mean, they probably find the relief area for the dog faster than for you, but <laughs> uh, everybody's got a soft spot uh, in general. And I'd also want to ask if you have an issue, what do you do about it? And how do you, file a complaint say this is something you can't resolve before the flight claire do you want to take that yes that is a great question so you have two different options to file a complaint um, you can file a complaint both with department of transportation and then you can always file a complaint with the airline itself um, at acb national we have a really great relationship with the individuals at department of transportation who take the complaints that are filed by people with disabilities. So I'd always encourage you guys to do that. Heaven forbid you have to, but if you do file a complaint with a uh, DOT, because then we have the relationship where we can even chime in and say, Hey, Joe Schmo told us that he filed a complaint. What's going on. Um, but it's very easy. Just go to the DOT webpage and uh, submit a complaint. It's very accessible. Um, and then they are required to investigate and find out what happened. Um, they always say that, a very significant portion of the complaints are from people with disabilities, understandably. So you can do that. And then again, I'd also encourage you, um, it's your choice, but file a complaint with the airline because it is their responsibility as well. Um, like I said, for instance, we have relationships with several of the major airlines and they're always telling us, you know, we want to hear from you guys because I know we all know what it's like to have a horrible experience and hem and haw and we're so frustrated. And then we go home and live our lives and never file a complaint. Well, if you don't file a complaint, they don't know what's going on. So you can do either think it's or. all good. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the other thing to keep in, right. Yeah. The other thing I was going to mention that there's a couple different options yeah. if you're in the airport and trying to get to your flight. If you're in TSA, if you're having issues with TSA, you can ask to speak to a passenger support specialist. Mm -hmm. Those are TSA yeah. screeners who have some additional uh, training relating to people with disabilities um, and the, every airport has one or they're supposed to. And uh, so you can ask to, to speak to a passenger support, support specialist, a PSS, or as Mike said, um, in other circumstances, particularly if at the gate or on the plane, um, you can ask to speak to a conflict resolution officer. Everything has an acronym, right? So it's a crow. Um, <laughs> So, you know, and that person can, can help mediate the situation, um, hopefully to get everybody where they're supposed to go when they're supposed to get there. And TSA also has TSA CARES, which um, is, you can go to tsa.gov or there's a phone number, which I don't actually have at my fingertips at the moment, but um, it's readily available um, that you can call to 
A, let them know ahead of time that you're coming through screening with a service dog and, and would like their assistance getting through the screening. Um, I tried that and it didn't work very well, but um, also if you have a complaint, you can call a TSA CARES number and file with them as well. And like Claire said, it's really important to make these things known because they'll assume there's no problem if we don't tell them that there actually is. Okay. I want to toss in there too, when it comes to oh, security, when it, when it comes to security, um, if you know you're going to be traveling at least two or three times a year, um, I would highly, 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 highly recommend that you go through the process to apply for TSA PreCheck. Absolutely. Um, it's a godsend. It, it is the best $80 I've ever spent. Um, yep. It's, it's a process that you have to go through. Um, it's a little bit of a pain, but it is so worth it. And that $80 gets you TSA pre-check for five years. So it, and how does it work, Chelsea? What's the, so uh, it's advantage? TSA pre-check. It's a separate, it's a separate line at the airport. Generally, um, smaller airports when it's open. Not, when it's open. Yeah, not always, but, um, you, you, the, you, you basically go through security faster. Um, you don't have to take off your shoes. You don't have to take off a belt. Um, generally, unless it's a really heavy winter coat, you don't have to take off your jacket. Um, you don't have to take stuff out of your bag generally. Um, so your, you know, your laptop, your, you know, braille note takers, that kind of stuff can stay in your bag. Um, and because you've gone through the process of TSA pre-check, they, they tend to not hassle you as much um, be, because, you know, you've gone through the whole process. Um, you know, you're unquote, quote, unquote, not a threat. <laughs> um, and, and, and how so, do you apply for this, Chels? Um, you can, you do it online. Um, and. Uh, I mean, with an airline or do you go to. No, no, it's. TSA. It, it, it's oh, through okay. TSA. Um and uh, you you fill out their form. Um, they'll do a background check, um, and then you have to go to uh, an interview spot, which typically they're at the airports, um, and you have to do a quote unquote interview, um, which lasted for me all of literally two minutes. Yep. Um, you you go in. You have to bring two forms of picture ID. They they look at your ID. They ask are you so-and-so? Do you live at this address? Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Well, that's okay. That's simple enough. Do we have any other questions from the floor? This is there. Claire. One- oh, sorry. Okay. No, go ahead. I just wanted to bring it up. It was triggered as we were talking about TSA. Um, but ACB is part of a ACAA advocacy group. And we are literally putting together a list of uh, difficulties that people with disabilities face when going through TSA. And we're going to draft up a letter and send it to TSA because they reached out to us, especially during the COVID crisis. So if anybody has any COVID related frustrations, um, as far as it pertains to going through TSA, feel free to shoot me an email at cstanley at acb.org. We want input from everybody so that we can say, hey, when I go through TSA because of COVID and us obviously specifically with our guide dogs, you know, you touch my guide dog harness handle and suddenly I'm exposed to COVID, you know, anything like that. We're trying to take down suggestions and ideas to, to raise awareness. So feel free to email me with those as well. Okay. Question. 
No more questions from the floor, Michael. Okay. I have a, uh, my question is when you're traveling, do you take off the harness once you're seated in the train or the plane or the boat or the Uber? <laughs> I do. I have a harness handle that has clips on it that just like the clips on a backpack. So I can just whip the harness handle off real quickly because it's the handle that gets in the way of, of your shins and it also makes it hard for your dog to maneuver, especially on a plane or a train when they're trying to get under a seat. But if you don't have that kind of a harness handle, um, and I didn't used to, I just got it with my last dog. Um, I personally still take the harness off um, and then put the leash on the dead ring of the, of the slip collar if your dog's on a slip collar or toggle collar. Um, but you know, never, never lose control of the leash. Um, it just makes it more comfortable for both you and the dog. If I'm on a short Lyft or Uber trip, um, it depends on if it's one of those like tin can little cars. Um, I may take the handle off, but I may not. My dog is pretty small. So um, she's like 58 pounds. So it's not quite so much as an itch of an issue for me as it has been with previous dogs. But I don't see any harm in doing that, taking that off, as long as you've maintained control of your dog, which you would. Claire, Stanley. I will uh, take I'll take my dog's harness off, um, especially on a plane. Um, Once and, you start taxiing, right, or just before I mean, just before you start taxiing, you get established in your seat. Right. Uh, yeah. When I get yeah, when I get on the plane, yeah, and you know, definitely keep keep a hold of you know keep a hold of that leash. Um, yeah, I, uh, the GDB harness has a easy to pop off handle. So when I'm on long travel, like on the airplane, I'll pop off the handle, but I won't pop off the harness altogether because I still want my dog to have their harness on, but I'll take the handle off so they can easily curl up or shift or move. But it depends on the travel of airlines always because it's such limited space. If I have the big, you know, ADA accessible space on a, an Amtrak, Sometimes it's not necessary because there's yeah. so much seat space. Um, when I get in an Uber or Lyft, pretty much never because I'm too nervous about if I pop, you know, I live in D.C. If I pop out of the car quickly on the side of the curb, I know I don't want to be floundering about trying to find the handle and doing that. So it totally just depends on the circumstances. Okay. Well, we are now down to the final two minutes. Do we have uh, or does anybody on the panel have anything to say before we close? If not, I'd like I'll, make, I'll make a oh, couple. Okay. A oh, couple. Go ahead, Tom. Okay. First of all, I want to thank our panelists for um, the excellent information and uh, informative um, information you provided for us. If people have any comments that you didn't want to put on the air, you can send them to me at badgertom1 at verizon.net. And if we get more or any comments, we might look at trying to put another discussion group together from GDF along with the ACB group at this point and one of their um, community discussion points. Um, but again, thank you all for coming and um, stay tuned, as they say, because FCB has a lot more interesting information well, coming. Thank you for. Yeah, thank you for uh, having us. And uh, I'm sure I speak for everyone when I say it has really been a pleasure. And uh, I'm sorry we couldn't all meet in person, but this is the next best thing. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everybody. That's all yours, Rick. Thanks.
Did we stop too early, Rick? Are you okay? Do I need to do a commercial or you go? <laughs> no, we're, we're fine. We're fine, guys. Thank you so much. Katie Lear is going to join us here in a sec. I'm here. Rick? Yep. I'm here. So, Katie, do you just want to uh, tell everybody what's going to be happening from here? Uh, you're going to have a nice half-hour break to listen to some exhibitors. At 1030, the Technology Committee is going to talk about ways for shopping and ordering food. At noon, uh, we're going to hear from Ben Shaberman, who's going to talk about ERD, which is uh, retinal diseases for the eye research. And at 1.30, the technology, I'm sorry, I did that again last night. At 1.30, the Washington seminar, legislative seminar, you're going to hear about that. And at 3 o'clock, you're going to hear uh, about audio description for museums. And at 5 o'clock, we're going to have our awards ceremony. And that's our program for today. Again, thank you for joining Guide Dog Users of Florida. It's been our pleasure to present this panel this morning. And you've been listening to the Florida Council of the Blind Convention here on ACB Radio Mainstream. And now here's a message from our important sponsors. This is our presentation of Guide Lights and Gadgets Incorporated. We are really happy to be here. And in the next half, half an hour, we're going to tell you about a lot of products. I'm going to do the first part of the presentation. And my wife, Kay Ann Rouse, is going to do the second part. This is Barry Scheuer the seemingly the product development person for guidelines and gadgets. And I'm going to start on the gadget side of the equation with a number of exciting things. The first and most exciting thing is that now Guidelights is a distributor for Orbit Research and its products. And I have watched Orbit grow. I have spent the last year working with their CEO. And I am happy right now to have in my hand one of the Orbit writers, which is the Braille Bluetooth pocket size keyboard that will be coming out sometime probably between the 1st and the 15th of June. It is so small and the keys are really, uh, the whole device is impressive. It works very, very well. It's very, very solidly made. And the Orbit folks have done a really, really good job. And it's, it's a $99 plus shipping product. And I've already been talking to people and people are just so excited about this and they should be. We are also dealers for Orbit when it comes to their Braille display products, the Orbit 20, which has been here for some time, the new important Orbit 20 Plus, which has Braille translation added, plus a clock calendar, and sometime probably in August, and we will be taking orders before that, the new Orbit 40 display. I saw a mock-up of it last year. I am going to see, and we're recording this uh, early on, in May, on May the 2nd, actually, but I will be seeing an actual working version of it in about a week or two, and that is going to be the least expensive large Braille display that's been ever on the market. It's going to be $1,399, at least as of this point. And as again, it should be here, hopefully, of course, with COVID-19, things are always a little up in the air on manufacturing, but it should be here approximately the middle of August. So that leaves Orbit. Let me move into a bunch of other things. A really other exciting thing, I won't talk about this very much, because it's something that's going to have to be really a felt real tablet. This is a truly remarkable device. It is a two and a half pound, totally operable Braille computer that starts and loads with NVDA, has both speech and Braille on it. And the keyboard is unique. Place your fingers, there are six 
well, eight keys there that are actually etched into the keyboard, but you don't have to keep your fingers on them for it to set. You guide yourself with the one and four keys. You can take your hands off. It's And the best braille is done actually when you have your hands on the keyboard and you're lifting your fingers up each letter. But that's a motion that's pretty easy to get used to. And it's very, very fast, four gigabyte machine for RAM. And it's, it's really the first totally independent braille computer that's just, just one box, as we say, that's been in existence in quite a while. Um, the price of this is going to be $5,499. There is and will be an introductory special, and that would be something that people would want to call about. It will be for probably 60 days after this convention or to the end of August. So the Braille tablet is really, really exciting. Now I want to go to a product that actually was a product 25 years ago. Some of you may remember the sound of this. Play level one, six game match. Back. Love 15. That is a talking tennis racket that is totally accessible, made by Tiger Electronics, their feeling sports division in 1998. And we are very fortunate to have a number of these as new units in their original box. And they're going to be $60 each because they really were not getting that cheap when the game was actually sold. But it's an amazing game because you can actually physically stand up and play like you are a tennis player, doing a forehand, a backhand, a service, a volley. And you've got to be really safe that you don't hit somebody in the head, including yourself. Well, that's, that's, of course, unless you intend to. Um, if your significant other gets on your nerves, you have a nice, easy excuse then to um, add a little emphasis to the argument. I haven't done that to Kay. I'm very I, glad I haven't to say. done that to Barry Oh, either. that's true. You haven't done that to me either. No. The next product I want to talk about is a very tiny thing. Um, we have finally located a really good two-in-one splitter for iPhones that allows you to both charge your phone and use your phone at the same time. I will tell you that most of the ones we have seen, even the ones that Apple makes, are quite thin, and these are not. They are very sturdy. Each of the plugs has its own actual little box to plug into, and they are very, very well made. It's a $25 splitter because of the way it is made, but it's a splitter that's going to last and not break on you, and we're happy about that. The next is something we've carried for a year and a half, although we have a new version of it, which is the three-in-one cable. And I, I only want to carry one cable around with me. I want a cable to everything on it, and this has Android, Lightning, and micro USB. The beauty of it is, number one, it's 10 feet long. Number two, it has a steel core. Number three, it's about half an inch thick. And number four, and most importantly to me, each of the extensions for those um, USB, for the USB um, little cords, each of those little one-foot cords are protected with a brass collar so that they are really tightly connected to the main cable and they are not going to break. That cable is $20. We've been able to lower the price on that from our last one, actually, and this is a better cable. So we're really we're pretty excited about that. I want to move to talk about some leather products, and I know I'm going very quickly, but since last year, actually, I don't think we, I, I don't remember if we were there last year. My brain has been falling out in the last year, which is why I want to start a company called Be My Brain, folks. Instead of be, yeah, instead of be My Eyes, I want to do Be My Brain. It's a big mess. Thank, Lots you, of clean th up. thank you, Carrie. Yeah, you're right. We really need it. Um, 
we have Braille Touch Plus cases, and they are carrying cases not for use in the Braille Touch Plus. One of them is a very tight-fitting tablet case that is a very high-quality leather. The other one is um, of a little bit more durable leather. Well, let me say, I guess I would say rougher leather in a sense. It has multiple compartments plus the tablet compartment case. These are really solid cases. They are both $60. Actually, the second one is a purse convertible backpack. So you can actually carry it in two ways. The Next leather bag I want to talk about briefly is a combination purse backpack. The dogs are running, I hear. And this is like a hobo bag. If you take the zipper and unzip it, it becomes a backpack. If you zip it back up, it becomes a shoulder crossbody bag that you can actually carry the bag behind you on your back, which is really good for not having to strain one of your shoulders. Those are both $60, and we've had really good happiness from people with those bags, I guess I would say. People seem to like them because they're sturdy. The next leather item is something that we call squeezies, and some of you may remember them. Our squeezies are these small pouches. We use them for cables and headphones because they make things not be tangled up. And what we are doing for this summer special is we are selling 10 squeezies in a package for $3.50 each. They are normally $5 a piece, and so a 10-pack of squeezies is $35. We also can supply them with headphones, but that'll be a different price. Our best-selling item I want to talk about next, and it's been our best-selling perennially for two years. It's our neck pouch that people use when they want hands-free communication when they're on the phone. And this is a pouch that is adjustable from your waist to your throat. It has three compartments on the front one major compartment on the back. It will hold all cell phones that we have seen with the camera being able to be outside of the leather, which means it can be used for Be My Eyes or it can be used for Ira. It's very sturdy. It's a very durable leather, and we have sold hundreds of them, and that's been really the biggest product we've had in several years. I want to move now to a waste pack. We've been selling waste packs since this company started. I think people may say that I am basically enslaved to waste packs. But we have finally been, well, we finally found one that is deep enough to carry just about anything I would want to carry. It's about 16 inches long, but the most notable portion, it has about a 10 inch by 10 inch middle compartment, which means it's deep. It's made of a very solid cowhide, which means it's not gonna basically, it's not gonna fray on you. This is a solid leather. If you drop the pack, probably not, the stuff's not gonna break in it. Um, somebody once has thrown this with 10 pounds in it at me, but we won't go there. Um, but I've had note takers in there. I've had canes in there. It's a beautiful pack. Um, and it's, it's by far the best waste pack we've ever seen, right down to the zippers and the closures. It is $60, and it's just a pretty remarkable waste pack. We also have, and something that many people may be happy about, we have Victor Stream and Victor Trek cases now. They are not for using the device in it specifically, but they are protective cases for carrying it. And they're only $10 each, which is quite a bargain. 
And lastly, my favorite little case is what we call the toughest case in America. That's what the company who makes it calls it. It is a telephone or gadget bag, really. It's quite small, but it will hold an iPhone 8 Plus in it with a battery. So that's a pretty good size. And it's got several compartments for headphones, SD cards, and the, the leather is so thick that it really does form a protective wall around it. So let me um, stop for a minute because I'd like to turn this over to Kay, but I do want to give contact information to start, and Kay will repeat that at the end. We are Guidelights and Gadgets, spelled out. Our website is www.guidelightsandgadgets.us, and the phone number for me specifically is 617-969-7500. If you want to do email, it is B as in boy, S as in Sam, C-H-E-U-R, at S as in Sam, C-H-E-U-R dot com. B. Scheuer at B. com. And I'll now turn this over to the person who's probably got a lot more enjoyable, pleasant, and fun products to deal with. They involve the puppies. Well, the puppies are enjoyable and fun, but uh, I don't know. Your products sound awfully good. Um, especially those bags you can throw around and, and hit people with when they get on your nerves. It's great. Um, in following up with what you were mentioning with the neck pouch, I just want to say that that neck pouch, although we've sold a lot of them for IRA usage um, to be you know worn up around the neck to hold the phone, there are some other really good uses for them. Um, two of those are you can wear these. They're very adjustable. You can wear them as a crossbody. And I find them very useful for if I am flying somewhere through the airport or a station and I want to have all my little things close to me. And I would also like to have, um, say, some treats for my dog to encourage her to not pull the wheelchair because her job is not to pull the wheelchair. It's to actually take care and heal next to the wheelchair but that's another long story um so that little pouch is wonderful it's just the right size it has a snap pocket in the front for the treats it's got all the little customized pockets for for lots of other things and and i love it i use it a lot another great use for that again with the airport but probably anywhere you're out walking or traveling is to wear it with um your ID in it, um, just just small things for, for a quick walk. Um, I'm out with the dogs all the time. I'll throw my phone in there and, um, you know, so my keys, my, if I'm going to the store, some money. It's just, it's just a great little bag for, um, for so many uses. So I just wanted to, to toss that in. It's more than just the, the phone carrier. There's an awful lot that should do with that. It'll actually hold a passport. So if you're seriously, if you're going through an airport, you want all your stuff close to your heart. Um, that's really the little bag to have. And for fifteen dollars, that is basically yeah, probably the best value product that we have. Yeah, you really can't beat it. You really can't. Um, although another good product that we have uh, that's an excellent value right now, coming up on the holidays, uh, you know, with Mother's Day and graduation and 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 beyond, we've got a special on um, small crossbody bags. You can get, uh, and these are also $15. They're a little bit bigger than the uh, one that Barry and I were talking about. 
um, and they're meant to be worn more as a crossbody. They're about eight inches by eight inches, um, and we have a special on them. Uh, they are also $15 a piece, but if you buy uh, two of them, you will get one free. And I've got uh, a number of colors, so you will get an assortment of colors. You can match them to your outfit, which is, which is kind of fun. Again, it's a nice, soft leather. Um, it doesn't hold a ton, but to, to go out with, with friends uh, on, on, a, on an evening to the restaurant, it's plenty to hold what you need. And that's a really good special for the holidays. A, it really is. We, and we've, we've, people are just delighted with them. We took a whole bunch of them to, the, to our drugstore people last Christmas because they've been so wonderful to us. We took a whole stack of them in different colors, and all oh, those people just loved, loved, loved them. So um, it, it's a great idea for that. All right, that being said, we'll move on into more of the, the dog-related products. I wanted to give you a quick go-through on that. We're kind of known for our, um, our travel stuff, and probably most specifically for the travel bowls that we do. Um, I specialize in a lot of different sizes of silicone bowls, that will smash flat when they're not in use. They don't take up a lot of room in storage. Um, you can get them anywhere from a two cup size, three cup, four cup, six cup, and I think I even have a few eight cups. I've got one that's a two and a half cup that has a lid to it. And then I also have a couple of sets, uh, uh, two different sizes of these cups that will actually um, flatten down and zip together. So you can have your dog's food and water, and when the mess is all done at the end, you zip it together and throw it in your backpack, and there's, there's no mess at all. It's really a great little product, and those are running for the, the two-cup size is a $20 um, item, and the three-cup size is 26 So um, that's something else to consider, some, some of the newer uh, stuff that we've been doing and we have tons and tons of dog toys which which most of you know I'm not getting into that because we just do not have the time to do it but I really encourage people call me if you want to if you want a toy for your dog your dog's a unique individual and we really need to talk about how big your dog is how aggressive a chewer I will help you find hopefully the right toy for your dog and it's it's something I really enjoy doing so please 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 call me when there's a need um, I carry a great line of soft toys of tough tough toys of all things in between some that squeak some that ring some that do all kinds of things so that's all I'm gonna say about the toys today because the time is just going way too fast I'm still doing the airport leashes which um, I've sold an awful lot of. They're basically uh, made of paracord, a braided paracord. There's no metal in them at all. So for those of you who are comfortable taking your dog's harness off and putting it on the belt, um, use one of these airport leashes to go through the alarm, and it will not alarm. You will get through security very quickly, and that's how I do it. I have made the choice, and I realize not everybody cares to do that same choice to remove the harness, but it does work for me. And I do offer that option for uh, a lot of folks. These are on sale also this summer, uh, $15 a piece. They typically go for 20. So um, that is something to, to consider. Again, call me if you have questions. Um, we have 
Now, the name of the company is Guide Lights and Gadgets. Well, it's, it originally started out about lights and being lit up at night so that we are a little more noticeable. Things in Boston can be pretty um, aggressive, which is where I was when I started working with this business. So I made it my business to figure out some ways of how I could light us up a little bit and make us a little more, uh, make us stand out a little bit more and be a little safer. So I have a couple of different options that I'm still working with. Um, I have little individual lights. They're, they're shaped like dog bones. They're very cute. And you can clip them anywhere to a, a collar, a leash, a harness, a, your backpack, a zipper, anything you can think of to clip one on. Um, and maybe several. I had someone recently that just, just bought four of them and said, well, I'll just clip one here, one here, one here. And, and they're great, especially for those who are totally blind, because you can tell when they are on and when they are off. And that's really crucial for, for some of us. Um, I have another product that, unfortunately, I have not been able to find it in a format that allows a totally blind person to know when it's on or it's off. For those who have a little bit of sight though, the harness lights are really awesome. You can put them on any dog's harness. There are some tricks for um, uh, over the years, uh, looking at all the different harnesses, there have been you know some difficulties with them. So usually I can help folks figure out how to make it work on their harnesses. It's a strip of six LED lights that will light up and they'll either be solid or they'll blink. Um, they do a great job. You can also put them on the dog's leash. Um, again, you can put them on a strap on your backpack. I had uh, one woman buy a couple of sets and put them on the, um, on the bars of her wheelchair because she felt that would be the most visible arrangement for her. So wherever your creativity takes you, these, these were not intended as um, dog products to begin with. I actually found these uh, looking at horse products. These were used with horses. So there you go. It's, it's all about the creativity and uh, figuring out what to do uh, with, you know, with the need to make, it, to make it suit your situation the best. And you could check those lights because what you could use is a light detector app on your iPhone, for example. Or if you had a light detector in the house, you'd be able to check whether the lights are on or off if you carried it with you. That's true. That's true. I also am still carrying the harness luggage. That is not going to happen for much longer. The company that makes it no longer makes it. They, they stopped making it about two years ago. I was mortified, um, and I bought up every single one of them I could find. I'm getting down to the end of the inventory now. It is not being remade anywhere, and it's, it's a perfect little, um, uh, little bag that will go onto the handle of the harness. It will also work with the, uh, the guide light strips, which I found out recently. You can configure the strips and the uh, bag in a way that everything fits on there nicely. Both of them are held to the harness by Velcro straps. So there's a lot of flexibility there in how to make that work. Um, those bags will hold a small drinking bowl, uh, they can hold your, your, your keys, your, your goodies. Uh, there's an extra compartment for a poop bag. Um, I choose to put two of my dog's booties in, in ours um, in case we're confronted with escalator. I've got it right there. And again, that's just my own uh, thought of what to do with it and how it works best for me. 
Um, we've got some things this year, the fur lifters that I have sold a ton of. These things are great. I actually have two versions of them. The fur lifters, imagine a uh, toilet paper roll, which is kind of round and hollow. But imagine that toilet paper roll, instead of being round, uh, being squared off and hollow. That's what a fur lifter looks like. On the outside of the fur lifter are a bunch of little silicone nubs. And those nubs are like little magnets for uh, dog hair. So if you're in a car, um, the carpeting down there, this is just ideal for carpeting, either inside a car, on the upholstery of a car. Um, if you have stairs, carpeted stairs, it's impossible to do a doggone uh, uh, vacuum going up the stairs, but this, this little thing makes quick work of it. You just, you just use it like you're brushing the dog and it'll just pile up a wad of fur that you can just throw away. Um, I have another version of it that's more for clothing. It is a brush with uh, silicone bristles that are about an inch long. And uh, it, um, it uses the electrostatic uh, energy to attract the fur. And, you know, you just do some swiping and uh, you, you get it off. And that's, that's great to have right before an interview or some social function that, that you're going to so that uh, you're not carrying your, your, you're not wearing your dog into your interview. Um, we also have... Um, a hands-free waste bag carrier, which I think, I really think this is a $6 item. And I, I truly believe that this, this should be something that is standard, standard uh, equipment that goes out with every guide dog. Basically what it is, is a strap that is set up so that it will wrap around the, the um, handle of any harness. And it is, it is constructed in such a way that when you take a loaded poop bag and you have a knot in that, you can stuff that thing up into the end of this carrier and you will no longer have to touch that poop bag until you get to an appropriate spot to um, dispose of it. This is wonderful. I was so sick of carrying those things around. And I was so embarrassed once when a gentleman uh, from the neighborhood came out and offered his hand to shake, and I picked up my hand to shake his, and I had a poop bag in it. I was so <laughs> freaking embarrassed. So that doesn't happen anymore. That is a really good thing. They are $6. I'm having people buy them in the, in the threes and fours and fives and giving them to their friends because they think they're so cool. Um, very easy to afford. Um, I also have a few other things. Um, tooth and gum cleaning wipes. Now, if you have the kind of dog that sees the toothbrush and goes running the other way, or if you have one that tries to devour the toothbrush before you can even get the job done, these might be a solution for you. You, put them, you just rub them on the teeth. They have enzymes in them that will then work on any of the plaque or tartar. And they, they seem to work pretty well. And uh, my dogs don't object to them at all. And uh, it's, um, it's just, it's another option. Again, it's, it's, this is all about tools in the toolbox. You know, you, you look at the toolbox and you use the ones that uh, are going to be helpful to you. And for some, this is very helpful. We also have the um, wipes that are like a freshening wipe. So if your dog's starting to smell a little gamey, um, these are wonderful. They really absorb the, the oils um, the excess oils, the smelly oils off the top 
of the dog's coat. And it does, again, it's really nice to have if you're about to go into a, an interview because there's nothing that'll turn a prospective employer out off, off of you. <laughs> a stinky dog coming in. You know, that person's trying to figure out how you're going to fit into the atmosphere of their office. Well, you got a, you got a dog that's, uh, that's interrupting the atmosphere in a really ugly way and you really are not in, in a good position to be vying for that job. So that's, again, um, those are neat because they are travel uh, size. The, the bag reseals itself so you can throw them in your suitcase and, and have them with you. It's very good. Um, the, my favorite uh, leather pack, actually, is a very small hip pack that I found, again, was outstanding for traveling with a guide dog. It has a pocket on the outside that has a magnetic um, snap part on it. It is so quick to get a little treat for your dog, to reward your dog. If you're doing a new route and you're, you're trying to cement that in and, and get that dog focused on what you're needing them to remember, getting to that food quickly is important, but it's also important that the food doesn't all fall out of the bag the first time you bend over. So these are really good for that. They are $19. Um, they also have a zip compartment in them to carry your key, your money, your ID, that sort of thing. So it's, it's a real nice, nice, nice little, um, it's the only one I carry anymore. We should really probably talk about shipping a little bit. And oh, yeah, yeah. Really get, sort of, because we got to. Um, we do, what we're doing now is a little bit different because we obviously don't want to endanger anybody and run to the post office as often. So what we are doing is everything is in prepaid envelopes and the shipping is going to be $10 per prepaid envelope. Some orders have taken two of them. And again, we apologize for that. When things change, we'll go back to our previous shipping policies. But for now, it's just $10 a package. And that package usually holds a pretty fair amount. Well, but, and I will tell you, I am a master yes, packer. Yes, she, she is a master I have packed $150 worth of, of merchandise into one of those, uh, you know, eight and, a, eight and a half by 12s. Um, it, it can be done. She's a master packer and so, a master whacker with the racket. Yeah, well, that's another story. I, I know, I know. All right. We are give contact. We should give contact for you separately. Absolutely. Because yours, yours, yeah, UK has a different number, which is a really, really good thing. Yeah, Barry, Barry's number stays so busy, I'd never get a word in edgewise otherwise. So if you would like to reach me, you can do so either by email at guidelight dog, I'm sorry, guidelightdogs at gmail.com, or call me directly, and let's talk about uh, what your needs are. Um, that, num that number is 781-286-1696, and I'll really look forward to, to speaking with you. I really enjoy this process. It's why Barry and I do this. We enjoy it. Believe me, if we didn't enjoy it, we wouldn't be doing it. And when it gets to the point where we don't enjoy it, we'll retire for, we, for sure. And we can't wait till we can sort of go back on the circuit and bring this stuff to people for feeling yeah. because that's really the best way for people to find what they, what they want. Sure Again, is. we're glad to do this, and we'll, we hope that if you call us, uh, we'll see what we can do to help. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Good okay. morning, ACB Radio. This is our 1030 presentation. This is going to be the technology committee, and they're going to tell us how to order food from the grocery store 
and how to order food from restaurants using Grubhub and DoorDash and some of the other places. I'm going to pass this over to Mark Lear, who is the uh, FCB Administrative Assistant for <laughs> the Technology Committee, and he's going to introduce the committee. So take it away, guys. Good morning, everyone. This is Mark Lear with uh, the Technology Committee. I'd like to welcome everybody to this presentation. It is, um, as Katie said, uh, involving a timely uh, situation because we can't get out and get food from restaurants, but we have a lot of apps and a lot of uh, ways we can get um, food delivered to us. Um, so uh, I'd like to introduce the First of all, I'd like to, to give a special shout out to the ACB Radio for helping us out with this. They're doing a great job. It's been a you know, very uh, fun and, and enlightening for us. So thanks again. The Technology Committee um, is our chair, of course, is Jason Goldfield. And Jason um, is in the Pinellas chapter, I believe. And um, he is... Uh, offering instruction to low vision people in his area and uses the Zoom presentation platform to do that. Um, and he's going to be talking to us about DoorDash. Uh, Sherry Mullingraff is another presenter and she's going to be talking to us about, um, uh oh, nope, DoorDash, uh, Uber Eats, I'm sorry. Anyway, get a little nervous. Sherry's in the Jacksonville chapter, and she's been several offices in that. Um, she's been the first vice president, second vice president, and president. And she offers some instruction to uh, people in her area as well. Um, then we on our, also on our committee, we have uh, Kathy Salemi, uh, Patricia A. Lepofsky, John Richards, and Gabriel lopez Gafati. Um, what we're going to do is um, start with uh, Jason, who's going to give us his um, talk to us a little about the um, in Door, DoorDash, and then um, we're going to go ahead and move on to Sherry. And I think that should take about a half hour. And then there's a an, an interesting, a neat little document that you can get from free called Delivery, um, and it is um, a, 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 a file that someone has written. Uh, it's a very good document. Uh, it's got a lot of information, useful stuff, and using apps and using different uh, services. It explains how to use the apps and explains how to use the uh, uh, different products, different delivery services. And we'll discuss that. So, And then we'll open it up for questions. <coughs> so, Jason, go ahead, bud. I don't think Jason is here, Mark. Uh, okay. Jason, Jason is here. I think he is on the uh, on the attendee uh, side. On the attendee side, because I just talked to him on the phone. We can start with Sherry if you'd like. I guess. Hello, uh, can you hear me? Yes, yes Sherry. Okay, um, I'm going to. Um, I have a recording of the things that are on the Uber Eats app, and it's different than the Uber app, which is what you use to catch a ride with. And when you want to download the Ubu Eats, it's capital U-B-E-R space, capital E-A-T-S. And once you download that, of course, there's uh, you have to put in your address. You put in your cards uh, uh, information. You know, you can use ATM cards, uh, credit card, or you can also use PayPal on Ubu Eats. And what I'll do is I'll just scan through the... Um, 
first page. Now, on the home page, it has various options you can do. It has your address at the beginning. You've got to put that in. And if you go somewhere else, uh, you don't want your food delivered to your house. Like a, a month ago, I spent um, some time with a friend of mine, and we wanted to order. So I had to put her address in. So it pulled up restaurants in your area. And, of course, when you go back home, you can put your own address in. So I'm just going to show you a few things that's on the first page. It was get pretty uh, fast through my address, so <clears throat> that, that isn't uh, played. Delivery location, ASAP 1000 pickup. Sort. Price range. <clears throat> Max delivery fee. Dietary. People <clears throat> <throat> Okay, so those were some choices. Like, um, if you have a, you don't want to pay a, more, a certain amount in delivery, you can uh, sort by... Uh, price range you can sort by your delivery that you you know the further out it is I think the more you pay for a while Uber Eats was giving free delivery but I think things are opening up and um, they may not uh, all be free delivery now if you have a certain dietary thing you want to um, choose you can do that and then after that will be lots and lots of restaurants I'll just skim through a few of them I'm not going to go through all of them if you stop on each one it will show the address of that restaurant so you know how far away it is it will tell you how many minutes it will be before they uh, deliver it will tell you uh, like the price range and it will also give a rating a five-star rating as to what people have rated it west grill roosevelt boulevard subway 1020 edge firehouse selves five points dairy queen he's there jc's fresh seafood 1000 papa john's pizza 7002 recommended dishes Chicken, ramen, Park Street, Whispers Oyster Bar and Seafood. Okay, that was just um, skimming through some of them. There are lots and lots and lots of restaurants in my area. Depends on where you're at. You may have lots of restaurants. You may have only a few, you know, let's say if you're kind of out in the rural area. And um, uh, I didn't stop, but I'm going to stop at one and let you hear what it will say about that restaurant. It will give <clears> address, <throat> price range, and things like that. Food lounge, lower than Rico's Grill and Cantina, lower than average prices. Categories, Mexican, salads and seafood, delivered in 25 to 35 minutes, rated 4.4 out of 5 stars based on 13 reviews. Delivery fee is $1.99. Button. Okay, so it, it told the delivery fee, what type of restaurant it was, <clears throat> uh, the price range, and um, it, the button means if that's the restaurant you choose, you click on that button and then you can go in and order from there. Now, on the bottom of that first page are um, four choices. I am on the home page. There's a search and that's if you have a specific restaurant you want to order. Let's say you want to order from Zach's, Zaxby's and you can tap in the search and it will pull only that restaurant up. Then there is settings and that's how you would go in and you know, put your cards in and things. Actions of search selected. Home. Tab. One of four. Search. Tab. Two of four. Orders. Tab. Three of four. <clears throat> account. Tab. Four of four. Now, if you go into the accounts, that's when you will um, choose button. what kind of payment method you want. Favorites. You can put your favorites in. Help. Promotions. Uh, promotions. Promotion. Okay. $20 off your order. I have $20 off. That's another thing. They will send you emails if you use it a lot. And you can type in um, 
you know, get, I don't think it's $20 off at one. I think it's like $5, you know, per order or whatever, but you type in the promotion thing. So if we go into the um, accounts and add payment method, method, there's credit card or PayPal. So I go into credit card. Card number. Card number. Text field. And then you can put your card number in. Start recording. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I don't want to record. <laughs> I pressed the wrong button. So um, you can do that and. Start recording. Pause recording. Resume recording. Sorry about that. Technology. Okay. So now I'm going to go to uh, my other note once this thing stops talking and open up the, the I put in an order. And we'll see how that is. And all the different restaurants will be different. They'll give you choices like you want to add a sides, you want to add desserts, drinks, and there are required fields. And that will show up as, you know, let's say if they there's a certain um, thing that they require that you decide if you want dressing on your salad or, or whatever. So I'm going to go into the other 200, note. 100, 200. End of note. Okay, that must not have been it. End of two hundred, two hundred, two hundred and seventeen. Delivery location. Okay, the one before that. I, I went in. Most Southwest Grill, Roosevelt Boulevard, lower than average prices. Went into Most Southwest. So I'm going to click onto that. Most Southwest Grill, Roosevelt Boulevard, view card, And I'm going to pick the uh, pick the. Southwest Grill, Roosevelt. It'll tell me what the choices are. $8.79. Homeworker Burrito Jr., $9.59. Whack-a-mole, $3.49. So it, it, it told me some different choices. So I decided to, to pick a burrito. And uh, did you hear it say guacamole? Uh, guacamole? I thought that was funny. That's guacamole. But anyway, so now I'm going to go in and pick that. Burritos. Heading. Homeworker Burrito, $9.89. Tells the price. And then it tells you what you can have to add to it. It's legendary. Mix of your choice of protein, rice, beans, shredded cheese, shredded lettuce. Choose your protein or vegetarian. So you have to choose what you want on it. Adobo chicken plus one dollar and ten cents. And it'll tell you the price. Plus one dollar and ninety cents. Ground beef plus one dollar and ten cents. So I chose the white meat chicken. White meat chicken. And then there's other choices you're gonna pick, like what to add to it. And you can add extra if you want. Now there's another one. It said, you know, like that you add lettuce, cheese, tomatoes. It said pick up to 99. Uh, there aren't 99 choices. I think that's just the um, standard thing it says on it. In other words, that means you can pick unlimited and then each restaurant has a uh, a certain amount of things you can add to it. And so this one had... Oh, I choose whether you want rice. I, I chose seasoned rice. And there's, there's the ingredient. Okay. Put cheese. Sour cream. Lettuce. Whatever. So... Each button you tap on will give that to you. Yes, I want free chips and salsa. 
Okay, now that asked if I wanted free chips and salsa. I could have said no, but hey, it's free, so of course I'm going to say yes. Yes, I want free chips and salsa. And then? Quantity, one. Quantity plus one. Okay, quantity plus one. That means if I want to add another one, let's say I want one for later, or if somebody's here, I w you know, they want the same thing, and you put it in your card. Quantity, one. Button. Add one to card. $10.99. And that tells you the price. Start new card. Heading. Okay. Now, I, what I did here was I had uh, put something in the cart before and I changed my mind. And I wanted to just show you, you don't have to worry about if you put something in the cart and it's easy to get it out. You can get things out. You can add things. Uh, it, it's, it's not done until it's done, until you say, you know, place your order and pay with your card. You can always change things. So I wanted to change what I had in my card. Do you want a flash, Riverside? And it's going to ask me if I want to change this. An item from Tijuana Flats, Riverside. Would you like to clear the card and add this item from Most Southwest Grill, Roosevelt Boulevard, instead? Cancel button. New card. So button. I picked a new card. Back. So button. now I'm going to go. See my order. I can add items if I want. Homewrecker burrito, ten dollars and ninety-nine cents. White meat chicken, one dollar and ten cents. Seasoned rice, no black beans. Shredded cheese, pico de It's going to tell me what's on my order. Chipotle ranch dressing, grilled peppers and onions. And then when I place my order, up to add the promo. Ten dollars and ninety-nine cents service fee. One dollar and sixty-five cents delivery fee. Two dollars and ninety-nine cents taxes. Seventy-seven cents total. Sixteen dollars and forty cents. Place order delivery button. There, I can place my order, and I can decide um, whether I want to add, whether I want to change. All that is in there, and each each restaurant's a little bit different. Some some of them have things at the bottom if you want to. Um, now this one it doesn't because you you choose what you're going to put on and what you're going to take off. But let's say if you order something and you don't want onions on it or whatever, you can uh, write down at the bottoms, you know, uh, no onions, you know, add extra mushrooms. There's each each restaurant's a little bit different, but once you go through the app and and um, you know look at it and see what you want, I think you'll find that it's it's pretty easy. They're all pretty accessible, uh, uh, and um, I. Uh, shop from it a lot, so I really enjoy it. So um, that's about all I have on this, and unless there's any questions. Sherry, thank you. Um, so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take questions at the end, so anybody who has questions, uh, go ahead and we'll t hold those till after the end, uh, till the end there. And right now, Mr. Jason Goldfield, are you with us? And you can I'm here. talk can about... I'm uh, Yes, sir, I can. Oh, okay. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank Sherry for that wonderful presentation of uh, Uber Eats. Sorry about the technical difficulties. You know, the thing about dealing with technology when you really want it to work, you know something is really gonna go wrong. But, you know, tr you know, true and true, we get through it and we find ways around it. But anyway, um, as Mark said, my name is Jason Goldfield. I'm the chair of the Technology Committee for Florida Council of the Blind. And uh, Sherry is just one of our wonderful participants and committee members. But uh, what I'd like to do is take a few minutes and talk a little bit about DoorDash. Now, Sherry just showed you 
and talk to you about Uber Eats. And while DoorDash is a very similar app, they do have some minor differences. Uh, first of all, in order to use any of these apps for the very first time, the first thing you have to obviously do is download the app either on your smartphone, both on iOS and on Android. I believe they're available on both as well. Um, the next step is once you have the app obviously downloaded and installed, you have to create an account, which is a pretty straight through uh, process. You just have to fill out such information as your name, your address, your email address, your password to create an account. And then you go through the steps of entering your credit card information. The nice thing about all these food delivery apps, and there's just so many more that we can't cover today, is that they're all a cashless-based system. So there's no cash exchange between you and the delivery driver. Everything is done through a credit card or a debit card. Um, so that's kind of a nice thing that kind of goes along with that, especially in what we're dealing with today. You know, constant contact is kind of the thing uh, we're always asked to social distance. So we always have that nice option available. So once that's all said and done, you enter all your information to create an account, you enter your credit card information, then based on where you live depends on how many restaurants are on the platform. Um, you know, it would be unfair to say there would be X amount of restaurants in one area because it's going to be different depending on your address, your complete address, along with your city, state, and zip code. So in my area, we're pretty fortunate. I live here in South Florida in the West Palm Beach, Florida area. And on DoorDash alone, last time I checked, there was about 260 some odd restaurants, which is pretty good, <laughs> you know. Um, in some areas, you're going to find a little bit of less. You're going to, in some areas, you actually may find a little bit more. So, and there's definitely enough to pick from to kind of subside and kind of satisfy any type of craving. So when you're on DoorDash and you, once you create the account, as soon as you open up the app, you're going to see your delivery address to confirm this is where you want to have the food delivered. You then keep going through if you're using the iPhone, which is where I really primarily use the app on. You just swipe or flick with one finger swiping to the right, and you're going to hear immediately a list of restaurants. And when you come upon a restaurant that you wish to order from or get more information or even just to look at the menu, you immediately double tap. And there's going to be some information such as their hours and, you know, and whatnot. Um, their, the pricing, it could say, you know, low to moderate prices. So that's, you know, pretty affordable. And then you just keep swiping through all that. And, be, uh, and then after a couple of swipes, you're going to actually get to the good stuff, the menu. Well, just like on Uber Eats, when you find a menu item that you wish to have or look at more information about, you're going to double tap on it. Um, along with the menu item, you're also going to hear the price of the item as well. So you obviously have a good um, point of knowing exactly how much an item is. Um, so when you double tap on an item, 
say if I'm at Subway and I want to go and have a sub delivered. So I go through the Subway menu, I find the sub, say I want their Italian, I would double tap on that. And the reason why I like to, to pick Subway as an example is because it really gives you a chance to look at in detail all the breads, all the toppings, all the different spreads, the sauces, um, the toppings, everything that you could possibly want on a Subway sub. And, and I just want to kind of stop for a second and just kind of use a personal example of my own. You know, I've been to Subway so many times in person, but I, and I not obviously familiar with the entire menu in my head. However, I have a good idea of exactly what they have. However, when I started going on DoorDash and some of these other apps, I actually didn't know everything that they had. I'm like, I didn't know they had that. I didn't know you could add double of this and more of that. And it gives you options for double meat and all that. And, and that's really cool because you can take your time. You don't have to say as a visually impaired person, well, gee, I wonder exactly what they have. So you can really take your time. No one's pushing you. No one's, you're not holding up a, a long line of people behind you. And it's really nice. You can sit there and just very casually take your time. So once you selected all your toppings, your bread, your meats, your cheeses, everything that you could possibly want, you then hit the add to cart button. At that point, you then have the option of going through and selecting another item from the same restaurant. So if you're ordering for three or four people, you can select three or four sandwiches just exactly the way you want it. So that's, that's the beautiful thing. So once you select as many items as you want from this particular uh, restaurant, you then go down to the view cart, which would be down at the bottom of the screen, uh, closer to the bottom right on the iPhone. And like I said, I use the iPhone a lot because that's where I primarily uh, use these apps myself. So on other devices, it may look very similar, but just a little bit different at the same time. So I want to apologize for not, you know, I want to apologize for not, um, you know, covering all the devices all at once. So once you go to the view cart, you can then review exactly what you want. You also, it also is really good at suggesting things to you. So if it sees you ordered a sandwich or ordered sandwiches, we're using Subway as an example, it then will say people who ordered this ordered this. So you might say, oh, yeah, I need chips and I need a drink. And it gives you recommendations and, uh, you know, based on what you've ordered. So it's kind of like a little upselling and adding on to kind of just drive up your bill even more, <laughs> which is kind of very smart of them. Uh, another popular uh, service I noticed does that a lot. So these other apps have really gotten on the game of this upselling and cross-selling type of thing. So whether you accept those additional add-ons or not is your choice. You then go to the payment system, the payment section. And once you're in the payment section, you then see the credit card that you have selected on file. And by the way, you can have multiple payment methods on one DoorDash account. You can also have multiple payment methods on these other food delivery apps as well. 
So you select a credit card. If you have one, there's only one to pick from. You just keep going through that. And then there's the part where they would like to su suggest a tip. So because it's always important to tip our drivers because these people are the ones who are actually going to the restaurant, picking them up. Because remember, DoorDash is an independent company. So they don't work for any one particular restaurant. So the tips are what these drivers really rely on. There's pre-selected amounts based on your total uh, for, your, for your order. So they'll show a 10% tip and it'll show the amount, 15%, 20%, 25%, and so on. However, some people don't like that and they like to have a custom tip which you're able to do as well. Um, some people may say, no, those, those amounts are not right. They don't look good. That's too much, that's too little. And there's a way of customizing the tip. One thing to be aware with DoorDash and these other food delivery services as well, and I don't think Sherry mentioned it, it's okay, is that these services do charge what they charge tax, which is what you would pay in the restaurant, they also do charge a service fee, which I believe is 10% of your order. And this is an extra charge that goes to DoorDash or Uber Eats or whatever food delivery app that you're using. They all seem to charge that amount now. And you can't, you can't argue that. You can't dispute it. You can't negotiate it. It's just in there automatically. Um, also, what these food delivery services have that's kind of cool, and this depends on the individual. They have passes or subscription programs where you pay a monthly fee, okay? You pay a monthly fee. They're all currently sitting at $9.99 per month. These are month-by-month -month programs built on DoorDash, Uber Eats, and many others. And what they do is they give you a $0 delivery fee because that's another thing we almost forgot to mention that not only do they charge you tax and a service fee, but normally there's a delivery fee. So if you don't have a subscription, which you're not required to have, by the way, I, I just want that to be clear. A lot of people think they have to get the subscription, the pass for $9.99 a month. That's not true. You don't have to get this. However, you will be paying a delivery fee, and that can range anywhere from some restaurants, some are offering actually free delivery right now, especially with the current situation because they really want more business. Anywhere 99 cents, and I've seen it as high as $5.99, $5.99. However, if you get one of these passes through each of these delivery apps, they will automatically wipe out the delivery fee. Plus, I think it minuses or it uh, actually gives you a discount of 5% off of your total order. So you do get a little something besides a free delivery fee for that. Um, I currently myself have passes or subscriptions with DoorDash. I just picked back up again Uber Eats last night, uh, or no, two nights ago. I um, Yeah, two nights ago, and also on Grubhub, which unfortunately we don't have a lot of time to talk about today which is another food delivery app. Um, so I currently have three of those. Um, you know, as time goes on, I may say I'm not using all those. 
Um, yes, I do order out probably more than I should, <laughs> especially right now, not being able to really go to restaurants. So I feel that those are valuable to me. So I get free delivery on any restaurant that I pick. So um, I kind of save some money that way. So once, so what happens once you get past all that? Well, then you actually hit the place order button and the food, then of course the order will get processed and voila, you're, the restaurant has gotten your order and they deliver it and then your food will arrive. What's nice about all these delivery apps also is that they actually will uh, update you. They'll actually show you the name of the driver. Once a driver has um, picked up your order or selected your order, you'll actually get to see the name of the driver who's coming. Um, in DoorDash, they call them dashers appropriately. And you can actually see their name. You can see the, well, I don't think with, uh, oh, yes, you can. With DoorDash, you can see the, you can, it'll tell you the type of car that they're driving and their license plate number. And then there's also options to contact them, contact your driver, your delivery person, either by phone or by text message. What's also nice right now, and this is also another option that normally is not available with the current um, corona uh, situation that we're all dealing with, is they're all offering right now contactless delivery. So normally, you know, they knock on your door, ring your doorbell, whatnot, and you take the food from them. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to do anything. You just take the food and it's done. But right now what they're also offering is contactless delivery. So if you feel uncomfortable with dealing with somebody, actually taking food from them, they'll actually leave it at your front door and notify you when your delivery has arrived. So I use that right now. So I have them leave it at the front door. And as soon as I know they've come and they've gone, I've actually then, op I give it like another minute and I go outside and pick up my food. So you can leave instructions on where you want your food delivered. Uh, you know, if you have like a, if you have a table by your door, you can say leave on table, leave on chair, what, what not. And so you can customize the type of instructions that you want. Um, afterwards, uh, afterwards, once you get your food and please, you know, go and enjoy your meal. Afterwards, you have the option of rating your driver and rating the restaurant. So, and all these apps offer this option as well. It's not a requirement, but it's good feedback for both the restaurant and for the food delivery app service that you're using. Uh, with DoorDash in particular, they have a rating uh, scale from one to five stars and voiceover is very good, again, on the iPhone about reading this. Um, anywhere from one star being bad all the way up to five stars being very good and excellent. So you can rate uh, your, how was the food from, we'll use Subway again as an example. And if you really enjoyed it, they would really appreciate a five-star rating. And then you can also do the same thing with the, uh, with the driver. So if you feel the driver followed your instructions, was courteous, was professional, there was no issues, found your house with no problem, you can also rate them anywhere from one being the worst, five being the best. So usually, unless there's a problem, I give five stars on both ends. 
So, and that's just a little bit about DoorDash. Um, I know we have some other information that uh, we'd like to cover. And also we definitely want to allow time uh, for questions. So I'm going to turn it back over to Mark. Okay. Um, thanks, uh, both Jason and Sherry, for your information. It was very good. I want to talk a little We're going to talk a little bit now about this documentation that's been available, made available to us for free. I think it's till June 30th, which is door, which is going to be uh, delivery. Uh, it's available from National Braille Press. It's available in um, Word doc format, as well as, I believe, text format. And it is a uh, a well-documented, I looked at a little bit last night um, on different uh, ways to use the apps and so forth. So what we're going to do, Rick, if you could do uh, unmute all the panel, and then we're going to have anybody discuss that document and then uh, just open it up for questions. So thank you. Hold on just one sec here, Mark. My screen just did a crazy thing. So hold Oh, on. no. That's that technology Jason was talking about, huh? Yeah, no, it was Dropbox asking me to download all my pictures. So, oh. <laughs> okay, here we go, guys. We're going to unmute everybody. Hey, everybody, you can unmute yourselves uh, if you're panelists. So go, you can go ahead and try that. I'm trying to unmute some of you, and it's not working, which means you can unmute it yourself. So go ahead and unmute everybody. Okay. So, um, hi, Mark. How you doing, Sherry? I'm not, sorry, uh, Kathy. Oh, Kathy. Hey, um, should I go ahead before we do questions and cover the material or did you? Oh, yeah. Wait. Yeah, sure. Go oh, ahead. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Okay, good. Um, okay. So the information that, um, that uh, Mark was speaking of, which is a very good resource is available through National Braille Press. Um, it's at NBP for National Braille Press, nbp.org. Um, it is actually, it has been extended now through August 31st. Um, and it's dinner delivered um, by Kim Loftus and um, Chris Grabowski. Um, it's a very good resource. Goes through information regarding um, grocery and other retail item deliveries, and also um, the information that um, Sherry and um, Jason shared with you regarding restaurant deliveries. Um, I'm going to briefly touch on some points because I know some people want to answer, ask some questions. I'm sure, but just bear in mind that these are services that are available but then also you can also of course order possibly from local restaurants and and your local stores directly um so um i can go ahead and send out this information the text um and um word document version as mark was saying um are right now totally free of charge if you want to do a download they're also offering half price um through national braille press on the um thumb drive version and the, the actual braille copies. So what I wanted to just briefly touch on is um, Instacart and Shipped. Um, so those can be accessed to the websites would be Instacart, I-N-S-T-A-C-A-R-T.com or Shipped, S-H-I-P-T.com. They do have um, website accessibility via computer. Um, you can also use the apps if that's more convenient with smartphones, either Android or iPhone. And you can also um, call. There is a service, GoGo Groceries, and that is um, where someone can actually assist you. You can call on a standard phone. Um, customer service representative will help you to um, browse for items that you need, place your order, 
and then those items would be delivered to you. That number, um, and again, I can send this information out, is 855-222-4919 for GoGo Groceries. I am told that there is a $13 fee that includes the customer service representative's assistance, the um, delivery fee, and even a tip for the driver. So um, we can go ahead and post on the listserv and send out information to other um, uh, sources if people would like to try to access that information. Um, Instacart and Shipt are both relatively similar, so I'll talk about them kind of in tandem a bit. Um, there's a few differences, but primarily they're pretty similar. Um, they do have availability um, of delivery, various stores, depending on the area that you may be in. Um, I'm from the Bradenton area, so we utilize Instacart quite a bit. Um, Shipped may be something that's available in your area. You may prefer certain stores that are available on one versus the other, and so then you can make that decision. Um, basically, you can search um, by good deals. You can search by drugstore, grocery delivery, pet supply delivery. So there's a lot of, of filters that you can use. Um, you can also, sorry, when you set up your account, you can go ahead and set that up using your email and password kind of um, that way. Or you can, if you have a Google or Facebook account, you can just link it that way and go ahead and just set up your account um, with the same credentials that you use if that's best for you. What I'd probably suggest um, is that you, if you are interested, set up your account first with your payment information because then um, that'll speed things up. And once you're done shopping, you can just go ahead and, and get your items delivered. There are um, different options. Shipped has a um, annual membership. That's $99. Instacart follows suit with its express delivery, which is also $99 for an annual membership. Um, you can refer a friend and sometimes get uh, credits. Um, right now, I believe there's a $50 credit so that um, you'll have that off your uh, the annual membership fee. They also have this as a two-week free trial if you want to try it um, out before you commit to the $99 payment. If you cancel within that two-week period, there is no charge at all. Otherwise, for a delivery fee, you would pay $3.99 typically. With Express and with the annual um, membership, you basically pay the $99 for the year and then you would have no delivery charges at all as long as you have orders that are over $35 each. So basically, the advantage of this is you would have a personal shopper um, that you would, could connect with on your computer via a chat. You can text on your phone with that person. Um, you would select your items from the website or the app. They will be shopping for you. You can communicate with them while they're in the store. So say you have some preference, um, you know, you want your bananas at a certain level of ripeness, maybe your items, um, if something's not available and they would like to know, the shopper would like to know if you'd like a substitution instead. So you can go ahead and communicate that information to them. Um, the advantages of um, 
these services are very good. I think just even in in most times, I would think for people just to have that as an option, but especially in these times, I think it's a little challenging sometimes um, to manage this. Um, you can um, obviously use this service to have items delivered to your home, to your office, to a friend's home if you're visiting or traveling in another state. Of course, the availability may vary a bit as far as what service is available and what stores are participating in that particular area. Um, you can specify when you'd like your orders to be delivered. Sometimes they have as little as an hour where you can have items delivered. You could set up a time for, say, you want things delivered after work, and they'll be delivered to you at 6 o'clock today. You could go ahead and request items today for a few days from now, so you have control over that. It's nice because it'll give you lots of time to be browsing on the websites and a lot of times um, you may find new products that maybe you weren't even familiar with because, I don't know, um, I go into a grocery store with, with a list. I browse a little bit, but a lot of times I get mostly what's on the list plus a few other things maybe. But I may not even be aware of other things that are out there. So it's kind of nice. I've tried some new things that way. Kathy, thank so, you. Yeah. Is that, okay. So um, I'm sorry. Yeah, so no, no, that's good. So. Um, if we could have some time for questions, I know yeah, that would be helpful. And then like I can definitely to, send this sure. information out for anybody yeah. who'd like it. Okay. So, uh, Rick, if you could uh, take questions and the board members, if you are the, yeah, the, the um, panelists, if you have answers to the questions, please chime in. Um, so, Rick, take it away. Okay. Richard and Shelly Sawyer, you're up. Hi, um, this is Shelley. I have a question for anyone who can answer it. Uh, I have used Instacart a couple of times. I have not used the restaurant delivery services. Um, my question concerns security. When you obviously strange people are delivering to you, how much of your account information does your shopper or your delivery person have? Um. To my knowledge, Shelly, this is Kathy. Um, they, I know with Instacart, uh, for example, they use an actual company credit card to pay for the purchase. So my understanding is that shopper would have no access to your information, which is how it should be. And that is my understanding. Mm -hmm. okay. Yes. And this is Gabriel, also from the committee. Uh, yes. None of the um, apps or platforms that we mentioned in this call, none of them give access to your actual payment information to the delivery person. It's all managed through the actual platform, whether it be Uber Eats, DoorDash, Instacart, Ship. They all keep your information private and secure. None of the delivery persons have access Thank to that. Thank you very much. That answers my question. You're welcome. Okay, Janine, if you want to unmute yourself, you can uh, be the next one to ask a question. Hey, how are you? There Hello. Go. Hi. Hi. So I have a question about DoorDash. Um, can you change your tip after they deliver? Because I use Instacart a lot, and you can change your tip based on your service. Um, when they do my groceries and based how they substitute for me is how I base my tip, um, which I really like. So with DoorDash, can you change your tip, or do you have to preset your tip? 
Uh, no, you can change your tip afterwards. They give you the amount that you can select beforehand. And if you say, well, I didn't think they were worth a $5 tip because they were just horrible, you know, or if you feel, you know what, I just gave them a $3 tip. I can't believe I shortchanged them like that. Yes, actually, after the order has completed, uh, you can go back into the order. Uh, you do have a window of opportunity to do this, um, but you can uh, actually change the tip. You can increase or decrease. And that's the same on Uber Eats also. And does the voiceover work really well on DoorDash? Because I found with Instacart, I just have my boyfriend do it because it's just too hard to use voiceover to order groceries. Yeah, uh, actually, I mean, I'm totally, I'm just about almost, I'm totally blind just about. And so I use voiceover exclusively and it's very, very good. Um, I, I don't want to call it perfect. I don't think any of these apps are perfect with voiceover, but I'd want to say they're about 98% accurate, which is pretty good. You know, we can't sit here and say they're 100%. So I'd say about 98% accurate. So I know sometimes it jumps around the screen occasionally, but I mean, I've ordered many, many uh, meals from many restaurants on, on uh, DoorDash and really have never had a problem. You just got to be a little patient when it actually acts a little glitchy, but it is pretty good. Okay, Eugene. Eugene, you're up. You're unmuted. Hello, Eugene. Usually Eugene is right there. Drusilla. Yeah. Hmm. Unusual for Eugene. Never knew Eugene to be uh, silent. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Hi. This is um, pertaining to DoorDash. Um, I would like to know, when do you apply the promotion, if there's any? Oh, that's a good question, and I apologize we didn't cover that. I was just trying to move through it pretty quickly. At the end, when you do the what they call the checkout process, that's where you verify. It shows you actually what you put in your cart or your basket, whatever term they're using, your payment method and whatnot. And then there's a part where you can apply a promo code and promo codes will give you like free delivery if you don't have a uh, subscription or they'll give you like so much off um, if you're given a promo code. Um, and promo codes are usually uh, but not all the time were exclusive to letters and numbers. So you would have to either type it in exactly or you'd have to uh, copy and paste it in. But you can do that at the checkout process. And that works, by the way, on all the food delivery, um, all the uh, food delivery apps, I believe, is at the end on the checkout process. Okay, I think we got Eugene back. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yep. Uh, question, the first lady that was talking, I believe it was Shelly, mentioned she had a reference list or a, a guide or something that she had written up about uh, DoorDash and uh, uh, Grubhub. Uh, just wondering if that would be able to be uh, sent out via um, oh. the listserv, maybe. Hi, Eugene. It's Kathy. Um, the National Braille Press does have it. It's available for free, as Mark 
um, and I were talking about, I'll go ahead and send it out on the listserv. It's very good. It's like a 50-page book, has a lot of good resource information about various food delivery services, including some additional ones we haven't talked about. Okay. Appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Folks, if you want to ask a question, raise your hand by Alt-Y on the PC. If you're dialed in on the phone, it's star nine. And if you're on the iPhone app, there's a raise hand button in the middle of the screen. So go ahead and click on it. Oh, and just while we're waiting for questions, I just want to kind of throw in, and this is just a general thing. Also, with all these food delivery services, grocery delivery, you will also get an email as a confirmation that serves as your receipt. So you will have an email copy of exactly what you ordered, the taxes, the fees, any delivery or service charges and whatnot. So that will serve as your receipt. Some people like to have those. Okay, Greg. Hey there, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Hey there. Good to talk to you guys. I was just curious as far as Instacart and Shipped, are those annual fees required? And then if they're not, what's the difference between having those versus not having them? They are not required, Greg. Basically, um, there's Express or the shipped, uh, which is through Instacart, or the shipped um, annual fee, $99 if you wish to use it. That means that for a year, your groceries, um, if the order was over $35 each, um, then there would be no delivery charge. You are not required to have it, though. You can just pay as you go, and that would be the $399 fee um, for each order. I um, also, if you know someone who has shipped, I'm not for sure about the Instacart, but sometimes they can um, recommend you and you um, get half off. Yes, exactly. Good point, Sherry. Yeah, $50 off right now. So it would just be $49 for the fee if you want. You can also try it if you're not sure that, you know, if you're going to love it or not. So there's a two-week totally free trial if you want to do that. And then, gotcha. also, cool. and then also, I believe you can pay per month as well. So that way you're not locked into that whole year. Right. That's right. Um, I believe it's, I think it's like, oh what's 12? Okay. Yeah. I, okay. That sounds about right, Sherry. Okay. Debbie Grubb, and, you're up. Hi, guys. I want to say hi. what a nice hi. presentation this is. And I'm going to ask you a question that has nothing to do with technology, but as blind people, (laughs) I think is very important. Can you just give us a thumbnail sketch about how you get this stuff, especially the DoorDash and the Uber Eats um, during these times so that people will know what to expect once they've done all that you've so wonderfully suggested um, about making sure that they and the driver and they and their stuff connect? Because I know how people are when they're hungry. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a lot of this um can be available if you go to um like jersey mike's it'll it'll definitely once you once you order the food and go through like uh the app like uh sherry and um everybody sherry and and um uh jason said uh they explained it very well um it will link you to um either DoorDash, Grubhub, or whichever one they support. And then you go through that whole process of paying for your food and they will deliver it to you. So it comes right from the the store app as well. So a lot of times you don't have to open those apps or you don't have to download and install those apps because the store does it for you. So that's one way I've done it. Mm, That's a good point. It is. 
And then also uh, one service I think we didn't really mention, we're talking about the grocery delivery, is that Walmart actually has a grocery delivery service that I currently use. And they it's only Walmart, so they don't shop for any other store. So you have to have the Walmart app. And again, you can pay per month or per year for a subscription for free delivery. Um, or you can pay as you go. Um, with Walmart, you have to have a minimum of $30 for delivery, which really $30 in groceries is not a heck of a lot. <laughs> but um, I use them quite a bit. And they used in my area, they don't have their own drivers. Uh, someone in Walmart actually does the shopping, an employee. And in my area, they use Postmates, which we didn't mention. Postmates is another of these delivery services. They primarily deliver uh, restaurants. They have their own app, whatnot. Uh, but also they have a contract with Walmart. So you'll get a Postmate driver to actually deliver your groceries. And I just wanted to mention, there still are some restaurants that use their own, you know, like pizzas, restaurants, and Chinese restaurants that you just call. You don't have to have an app. You just call that restaurant and they have their delivery people. That still is available for some people. You just call up and tell them you want delivered and they have somebody come out. And of course, with that, you're not paying by the check, uh, I mean, the, the credit card. So you will have to give them, you know, your, your payment as they come to your door. It's nice to know that the old-fashioned way still does work in many cases, cases um, <laughs> just because there are a lot of us out there who um, support our local rep, local uh, uh, dining establishments, and, um, yeah, and, and you're right. Sometimes you can just call them up, and they can deliver it right to you that way. And then also, can, you hear, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I must not have phrased my question very well. I take full responsibility for that. But as a blind person, what I was asking is, when I have followed your rules and have committed the order process and have submitted my order, and I know everything is fine in terms of the technology of it, how do I connect to make sure I actually take physical possession of whatever it is that I've ordered, especially with the restaurant delivery, such as post, um, such as DoorDash and Grubhub. That was that was my question. I'm sorry I didn't make it clearer. <clears throat> okay, we do have like maybe a minute left. So, Jace, you want to take that real quick? Yeah, I'll just try um, and answer really. I'll just try and answer really quick. I hope I answer this question correctly for you, Debbie. Uh, normally, you know, normally drivers will actually knock on your door and physically hand you the food, so you know that it is properly given to you um, right now, you know, and that's, that's still an option. Um, some people like that. They don't like their food left outside <laughs> and all that. So I, I hope that kind of answers your question. And okay. I just want to add really quickly in a couple of seconds, Debbie, um, the app will notify you that the food is out there already. So you need to take it and it'll give you a window. They say after 30 minutes, it's your responsibility if you did not get the food. Okay. Um, it's about time for us to close out. I want to thank everybody on the committee for helping out with this. It's been a real good presentation. Again, Rick, thank you very much as well. This is Katie Lear, your FCB con convention chair. I'd like to thank the technology committee for an excellent presentation. Thank you to ACB Radio for our streaming and Rick for our hosting. 
During the next half hour, you're going to listen to, to some exhibits. At noon, you're going to hear Inherited Retinal Disease from Ben Shaberman. At 1 o'clock, there will be more exhibits. At 1.30, there are going to be the Legislative Seminar hosted by Debbie Grubb. 2.30, more exhibits. 3 o'clock will be the Museum Descriptions hosted by Sheila Young. 4 o'clock exhibits and five o'clock the award ceremony so hands stand by we're going to hear some exhibits now talk to you all later bye acb radio